Hi, hier ist Flo vom Sprechstunde-Podcast. Bei uns findet ihr sämtliche Themen, die die Welt bewegen. Dieser fantastische Podcast hier wird ihr präsentiert von Nike. Nike hat sich mit der aktuellen Find Your Fast-Kampagne in den Kopf gesetzt, genau dich noch schneller zu machen, noch ausdauernder, noch sicherer. Mit Find Your Fast ist die Zeit für einfach nur irgendwelche Laufschuhe endgültig vorbei. Du bist schließlich auch nicht einfach nur irgendein Sportler. Lass dich von Nike unterstützen und mach zukünftig jeden Lauf zu genau deinem besten Lauf. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, another show, another day, a slightly different version tonight. It's that rare occasion when basically we've got so many emails from you for various reasons that we couldn't fit them into the main Monday night show. So we have another special edition of our uh, email dedicated show called In Off The Post, which I for one am very much looking forward to. It's just me, Stamford Chidge, and... Uh, Ye old faithful, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Hello, Chidge. Lovely to be on the show. How are you, dear heart? I'm ye old and faithful. Now, oh, uh, Clayton and Tony... Wrinkled retainer. Yes. Me. Well, Clayton and Tony were being very rude about us yesterday, saying that it would be very much like hinge and bracket tonight, or we were oh, doing... yes, of yeah, course. We that, doing... That's what we have to be, don't we? Yeah, we or to or Morecambe and Wise. Yes, yes. You're the one with the short, fat, hairy legs. I'd love to have been one of them because they were really. They were the, they were the best, weren't they? I tell you. Do you I mean, weird aside, this has got nothing to do with football. It just makes it therefore very Chelsea fancast. I was always very touched because I mean, I, you're a bit older than me, as we all know. But I, my age group, kind of coincided with the huge rise of alternative comedy in the eighties. And they all, it was a bit like when punk came along and it was kind of year zero and everything that came before it had to be completely trashed. So all the original comedians were absolutely trashed, apart from Morecambe and Wise, who all the alternative comedians absolutely still idolised and looked up to, which I think is the hallmark of, how, 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 of their genius, really. I think in comparison with some of the other acts, you know, I mean, Jim Davidson and Bernard Manning, it was pretty obvious. Well, that indeed. Should be Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's not a euphemism, by the way, just Very in case you're wondering. Anyway, Jonathan and I, we've been on air for 30 seconds and we've already meandered off into something completely <laughs> pointless. This is what we want. This is how it's supposed to be. Uh, channeling my inner Chris Tarrant and Tiz was there. Uh, but no, I mean, really, this show is all about you guys, really. Uh, we are always so absolutely touched that you you write in every week uh, with loads and loads and loads of emails. With um, brilliant emails. Yeah. That, 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 state things that we never bring up in the program which in fact we feel rather ashamed about because we don't know what we're talking about mate indeed indeed i think well that make the emails make it pretty obvious don't they indeed but uh, they've really uh, they've outdone themselves i mean i know we've done this before but uh i mean to get damn near 15 emails in in a week is just beyond above the call of duty there is a reason for that though and i shall i shall preface this we had a we had a somewhat controversial email last week from a lovely lad called shaz who who or a, girl, or a girl or a girl we still don't know i need to email them back to find out but um they were really pissed off with what's going on at the club and they were putting it all at lampard's door and and i mean in pretty scathing terms it has to be said now 
you know, I didn't really agree much with what Shaz said, but, you know, I totally, absolutely uphold his his or her right to write in and sound off. You know, P- football's passionate. We all have opinions. We're entitled to them. Um, and actually, they can be deconstructed uh, rather than just shut down with abuse, which is really where we find ourselves on Twitter these days. And if this isn't an antidote to Twitter, then I do not know what is. So... And I think that's a point that we all made on the show. And then lo and behold, we've had loads of emails this week, which pretty much are in response to what Shaz wrote. And I think I haven't read them all. I don't like reading them all before I, you know, put them out on the show. But, you know, my suspicions are that most of the responses are fairly considered. But anyway, we're going to start, JK. We're going to start with, uh, I mean, he's he's almost like our, our foreign correspondent, our Michigan correspondent, because Nana, <laughs> the lovely Nana... Writes in every week, bless him. So our first email's from Nana, Nana Yaboa. Uh, hi, everyone. Chelsea has been abysmal since our win against Leeds. Fighting talk, isn't that, Chidge? How about that? Yeah. Mm. There have been numerous excuses given as to why the team failed to turn up in the run of bad games we've had. Frank, individual players and even the busy schedule have had their fair share of the blames. We can be angry and blame Frank and the players for failing to turn up against City. But the truth is that the performance levels have been as bad in previous games as it was in the City game. Lampard is a young and new manager. The responsibility he has at Chelsea is nowhere close to the responsibility he had at Derby. I don't know why the Chelsea board handed him this position in the first place, but for whatever reason it was, well, I think we do know now, and we know why he was handed the, the job. He is our manager now. If the board and the owner support him to continue with his role as the boss, then we, we as supporters need to support him as well. With that said, he is inexperienced and so will face many challenges as he learns on the job. This is what we see now. If we want to keep him, then we would have to suffer with him through these difficult moments because his tactical naivety will continue to show. There is no way around it. He can only learn from some of the poor decisions he makes. On the other hand, if the board and Roman want immediate success, then I doubt their decision to hire Frank and even to keep him right now. Although there's every chance he can turn things around and lead the team to something this season, there's no doubt it'll be difficult. If we want immediate success, we'll have to change, just like our history with managers have been with Roman. If this is a project that we want to happen, and everyone, including the board, manager, players, and we the fans believe in it, then we have to keep Frank and support him. But again, it won't be easy. It's strange that there hasn't been any visible improvement in this horrible run of bad games we've had. And that is why many fingers would be pointed at the coaching staff. Additionally, the poor form of big signings like Werner and Havertz only emphasises that. A team with good players like we have should be performing better than we've seen so far, in my opinion. And again, that is where managerial responsibilities are questioned. This is my personal assessment of the conundrum we find ourselves in right now, and I will appreciate what all of you think should be the way forward for our great football club. Thanks for all you do, and continue to keep the blue flag flying high. Nana, Michigan, US. Now, um, because I, I have a suspicion that a lot of these emails are going to be of a similar theme, so I think let's read a few of them out and then pick up on a lot because I think that they're going to make this and we're just going to end up like in Groundhog Day if we're not careful. But Nana, right. great email. 
very considered and duly noted, and we will return to those themes. This is the second one's from John Yates, and he says, Hi, guys, I'm writing again for a second week in a row. Figured I'd share my take on the game and Frank being on the hot seat. Uh, I'm certain we had an offensive plan other than just sit back and hope for the counter, but this was basically talking about the City match. But unfortunately, we didn't get much of a chance to implement it as City was damn good in this match. They pressed for nearly the whole match and we couldn't do a damn thing with it. Honestly, I don't know if they were that good or if we were equally as inept. Werner wasn't really given any service, but he did himself no favours by not making runs or getting his ass in the box centrally to receive. The midfield was a mess. Kante had a horrid game. The back four obviously were having issues identifying what the threats were without a central player to uh, to key on. We just got outplayed, period. I thought Frank's post-game interview was on point. For all of us supporters, I believe we had to take a step back and get some perspective of where we are or where where we are at, at, at as a club. Ironically, the worst thing for Frank was going on the 17-game unbeaten streak. All of our hopes were inflated, and now that we've hit a rough patch and the sky is falling, for some that is, the reality is that we performed well against some okayish sides with a few really good showings sprinkled in. I'm guilty for getting sucked in as well, but I do understand with a, with a side this young, new, newcomers to the club combined with a young coach, there will be growing pains. I really hope Frank proves me right and gets the opportunity to see this through another season, but clearly things will have to turn around sooner than later, I'm afraid. One last thing, I've muted and blocked more Chelsea supporter accounts, and that's in inverted commas, accounts on Twitter over the last few weeks than ever before. If you call yourself a supporter but only support when things are good, then you're not a fucking supporter. You're a plastic twat and the club surely doesn't need you. It's perfectly fair to criticise and want more from your club, but some of the shit I've seen recently is just unbelievable. I know this was another long one, so please don't feel you have to read it on the pod. just feels good getting it off my chest. And by the way, if, you, if you're ever in a pinch and need a random American voice on the fan cast that isn't one of the London is Blue Boys, I'm happy to oblige. Uh, I, well, that's a good point. I look forward to hearing uh, you all this week. And as always, up the gels. Best regards, John Yates. John, great email, obviously. Actually, this is a good point. I keep meaning to mention this, JK, but there, there is a... There is a facility on the uh, Discord group, which I keep going on about, which, you know, is open to Patreon members, as you know, and those of us in the Prem Predictions League. But you can record a voice note in there. All right. So I'm wondering maybe if people want, you know, if John, John, if you want to want to if, if you want us to hear your dulcet American tones, then, you know, maybe if you're if you I don't know if you're in the Discord group, but you, if you were, you could record us a little message and we could have it on the show. We needn't read out the emails. They could record their own emails. I know. Wouldn't that be something? We have the yeah, technology. We, we could go downstairs and have a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. We, we do anyway, really. Yeah, we, yes, of course we do. I yeah, saw yeah. you wander off then. I did. I wandered off. I went and had a fart in the corner. Um, yeah. Do you want to... I think Dan, Dan, the lovely Dan Lundberg, um, you know, writes in a similar vein. Shall we, we'll do Dan and then we'll, we'll have a quick chimwag about it. Okay, good stuff. Chidgen crew. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the, the impact of fans oh. in the ground or lack thereof and our performances. This is a factor for all the teams in the league at the moment, but I think it might affect our squad more than others. Hmm. Currently, we have a lot of younger players, both domestic and foreign, who are relatively new to the Premier League, as well as our manager. Having fans in the ground singing their name, applauding when players players have mistakes, backing the manager at full time as he shows his appreciation to the fans in attendance would make such a difference right now. 
I look back at our successful run early in the 1920 season, and although 1920 season in the 2020s, 1920, and although we had a lot of young players, their confidence was soaring due to our supporters, fans. The argument could be made that because all clubs feel the impact of no fans, that it doesn't really matter. But when I look at the teams ahead of us in the table, almost all of them have squads that haven't changed much over the past two to three seasons. Other teams have decent chemistry and experience, so maybe the fan support isn't as vital to their success. I see it in small ways with our squad and how veteran players like Silver and Giroud seem to have consistent performances when they're in the squad. I think we saw the importance of support in our performance against Leeds after going down 1-0. Certainly that wonderful, um, um, the, whenever that defender got the ball, everybody went, ooh, every single time, which was wonderful fun and clearly freaked him out because he yeah. then started giving the ball away. Yeah, totally. Anyway. I understand why people are frustrated with results, but if there ever was a time to show support as supporters, it's now, whether we're in the ground or not. Dan Lundberg, Chelsea in America. Can I can I respond to this? Yeah, of course. I, I think he's absolutely right about, um, I think, both Werner and Havertz. I think Havertz in particular, who um, uh, I, I just get the... I, I think the more that we see him and the more he, he, he slowly shows more and more of his clear and obvious skill... Um, I think he's doing really well to have got over COVID, but the very fact that he's got a dog and the very fact that he's, um, it, it, he's obviously he speaks a bit of English, but he's, he's trying to deal with an, a situation where he's in a foreign country and all he's doing is going to um, the training ground and then to matches and uh, his social life is very, very um, restricted. Um, I think he's, he's, it must be unbelievably hard for him. And if, if he had knowing that there was a positive response to his performances, I'm absolutely sure would give him something to look forward to. And, uh, and I fear for Werner in the same way. I think Werner is obviously, we've talked about it before, how we're not actually sure what his role is at the moment. And in fact, would you believe I went and looked at a Leipzig um, uh, um, you mean you didn't watch I, Leipzig last season? Jeez. I tried to, but it was so difficult because I was watching. Um, I was watching Inter, and I was watching all these other other teams that one is supposed to watch, um, uh, and as well as Chelsea, of course. Um, that um, uh, yeah, funny enough, I saw a couple of goals from Werner who looked great, but uh, they play a completely different way to Frank plays. I mean, based entirely on pressing, but also based entirely on the way the game is going. And this guy, uh, the manager, is seems to be a tactical um, jack-in-the-box. Just moves things around according to what's happening in the middle of the game. But huge press. So if you, make the, if you, if you look at the situation with Werner, who is aware of the press and is even pressing himself an enormous amount for Leipzig, they're going to get the ball from mistakes. And so Werner's going to be on his own with, with one to beat and the goalkeeper or two to beat and the goalkeeper, which he's great at running at them because he gets the ball from their mistakes, pressing. <laughs> And the very fact that he's having to have his um, back to his, his, his back to the goal and looking for centres is really not the way that he was playing at Leipzig at all, you know. Well, uh, so, uh, can I interject on on that course, point because course. I think that's a really good point, and we we've alluded to that before. Yeah, uh, and we you know we we know from how how he played at Leipzig that he has got particular strengths, which I think I agree with you. Running at the ball, being on the last shoulder of the man, he's very very quick. He's got yeah. a great shot. All those kind. He scores goals. You know, it's all those kind of things. But I think we also have to factor in not just um, how he's being used at Chelsea and how we play, but the, the the Premier League's differences from 
the Bundesliga, you know, I would warrant that the overall quality of the Premier League is a lot better than the Bundesliga. At every level, because I'm sure they've got about three three or four teams who are great and the rest of them are nowhere yeah, near as good. Exactly. I mean, it's Bayern good. Munich are, are, are fantastic. And yeah. there are, you know, Dortmund are no idiots. There are some good teams in there. But I think, you know, what he, what, what you'll find in the Bundesliga is that I suspect teams will go for it a bit more. So, you know, he can capitalise on those mistakes and have the room. Yeah, on the break. We're not seeing Chelsea on the yeah. break at all. Are no, we? because teams teams know how good we are and they're yeah. not going to be suicidal. They're going to, they're gonna. I mean, you know, they're not all going to play like Morecambe did, obviously, but a lot of them are going to you know, basically be very disciplined, two blocks of four or, or playing with three and a, and, a, and a five in midfield, congest the space, keep their shape, keep their discipline. So it's much harder for him to find the space that he had in the in the Bundesliga. And, you know, it's a bit like I said in the article, and, 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 and Kerry said this, is that, you know, we, our players, need to adapt to him Frank needs to work out a way to get the best out of him, but he also needs to adapt to how Frank wants to play and to the league and to the other players. And that that is a process that does not happen overnight. But if he's good enough, JK, if he really is as good as we think he is, he will come good because quality yeah. always rises to the top. Well, I, th- I think the, the evidence of his uh, uh, early season form was, was, was there for, for all of us to see and he was fantastic. But it's... He's obviously got a, a a a blow to his confidence, and I think as uh, as Dan is saying, if there was a crowd there, um, we'd be on it. We'd be not on his back in a bad way. We'd be we'd be uh, supporting him because um, it hasn't got to that stage where at least he he hasn't come into the team and looked dreadful from the beginning, like somebody like Chris Sutton, who people then just started moaning about after. You get I love Chelsea fans. You sort of everybody gives somebody the benefit of the doubt for a bit, and then after about. 10 games or 15 games they everybody starts moaning a little bit and then by um it's wonderful how at the end of the season everybody says god they were dreadful weren't they but we are we are good chaps chelsea supporters and he doesn't people don't get the bird until oh well, look they, at torres how how well he was backed yeah yeah, yeah. well ours was kesman wonderfully backed yeah, wonderfully backed we said yeah we we were we we tend to be really good with that i, I also think the robert the, this, fleck yeah, oh hey well poor fleck just got Fleck, the, I think the skill of the team around him disintegrated as well. From my memories of Fleck, was that the the one thing they used to do was boot the ball into the corner and ask we him. We all live in a Robert Fleck world. Yeah, or was it? Was that the one? It was. Yeah, it? was it? Yeah. Number one is Robert Fleck. Number two <laughs> is Robert Fleck. Number three is Robert Fleck. Robert Number Fleck. four is Robert. You know, I mean, we are supportive, and you know, and Andy Andy the Hutch makes a good point on Mixler. He says J.K. That has happened to many of our striker buys. We can't keep asking square pegs pegs to play in round holes. I think that's a really good point. And I, I, I think, number one, kind of responding to what JK was saying, I think we do as Chelsea supporters get a bit wobbly when our strikers look like shit after 15 games because we've been there so many times before, spending loads of money. This was really the whole tenant of my article. Torres, Fleck, Sutton, Maratta, you name it. We've had so many strikers that we've rested our faith in who've let us down. But um, the square pegs in round holes argument is a very good point because that that's really to do with the people who buy the players and who do the recruitment and 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 also the coach. You know, if if for example, you know, let's let's say Frank was um, Sean Dyche. That's not a good example. Let's say Frank just likes to play four four two with a hairy ass striker, classic number nine up front. 
and a, and a little kind of number, you know, eight or something next to him, that, that, and they only ever play one way, then why would you want to buy a striker like Timo Werner, you could ask? Well, the answer to that is, well, they want to change the way they play. I'll still go back to what I said. You know, do you buy horses for courses or do you buy a lot of very flexible, clever players who can adapt to different systems? And I think in the modern game, Kerry Dixon will always tell you this. I've said this many a time, haven't I, JK? Kerry always says, football is about players, not systems. And I think to a degree he's right. You know, and I think the modern game, what you do see with the best coaches is that they will be changing systems within a match. You know, so I don't believe we have to be as wedded to systems as people think that we are. Um, and actually, players are a lot more adaptable. I go back to that central point is that this thing doesn't happen overnight. People need, you know, you don't you get a new job. I don't know. Let's say you're, you're you work in the city or something just because you were good at your, your last job and you got headhunted and you go there. You know, you don't you don't join on day one in your new company and perform to the absolute peak of your powers as you were in the previous one. Because you've got to you've got to adjust to the new systems, the new people and all the rest of it. It's no different in football. Um, can I just say about um, uh, the crowds being there? The other yes, thing totally. must, well one mustn't forget is the uh, uh, the Everton game, which I thought actually spooked a few of the players. I thought Mendy got a bit spooked by there being a crowd there of such negativity towards Chelsea. Probably by uh, all the Everton fans shouting handball every five seconds. Every, uh, indeed, every time. He, well, also shouting out that every single t- Chelsea tackle was a foul. And if you remembered, if you remember, I think it was it Moss was the referee who... Um, was actually suckered in completely by the by the shouting out and gave foul after foul over absolutely just normal, you know, Chelsea player playing the ball and the ball going out or, or, or even getting the ball because the Everton the Everton fans were making such a fuss. So the other thing that is that isn't influencing um, uh, the one thing was positive would be that the referees are, they're still pretty bad. I mean, some of the decisions made in the FA Cup that I've been watching. My goodness me, some of the idiocy. Once again, Moss did that wonderful thing of, of giving, sending Keo off. Did you see that? And yeah. it, luckily, there was, luckily, there was VAR there. And, and it was absolutely plain and obvious to all of And also, where are the linesmen in these situations? Uh, they're not commenting because they don't want to impinge on the... Uh, they're deferring to the ref, as will always be the, the ridiculous state of play. When... Um, it's a naivety. It's things that you know have happened because they're, if you know enough about the game, you know that the centre forward is barging the centre half to force his arm up. You know, Keo's not going to handle the ball in the middle of the pitch. He's just too experienced. And he was aghast. And I felt for him because he's a, he's a decent journeyman player, Keo, and he was, um, he was instrumental in, in helping Frank season at Dar- Derby work well. But, um, you know, so thank goodness for VAR in those instances. But, um, it, it, it's meant that the, the the referee doesn't become a homer through not having crowds there, as was shown in the Everton game, how easily influenced they are by crowds. Um, so there is a kind of, there's a positive to be had that refs look as if they're actually refing a bit better. And they've got VAR as a kind of uh, a safety net if they make an absolute rick of a decision. Unless, of course, the man in the, in the van happens to be their mate and doesn't want to embarrass them, as we've seen as well. But um, anyway, I've got off, got off the subject. Got no, really? You surprised really me. Ranting about refs. Well, I, I tell you what, let you me... Know, I think can... it's relevant, though, to the crowd aspect. Yeah, definitely. I really think it's relevant. And I think that... that I, I think, yes, it's a very good point. But I either think the... I, I think the we have to take in consideration the number of games that are coming so thick and fast. Um, 
And I, I actually, I'll, I'll go for one of my, my prophecies, which the ridiculous prophecy. I said I thought we'd win everything because we were playing so well. I think we will have um, uh, this. This has been a, a blip actually, and we will actually start winning again because I think every this is happening to every team in the division. I think the pressure. This is if we carry on with the season, the way things are going at the moment. I think there may have to be a, a complete sport lockdown because well, of the. What have they got? 20, 20 at the academy. Twenty have been. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. I mean, I, I think you know that we, we've been into this in, in the main uh, body of the show. But there, there are. We're not. We're not. I mean, look. I, I love Frank Lampard to the earth, and that, and hopefully there'll be some time later on the show for me to expand a little bit on why why I you know I think we should keep him, but I think that there are so many realistically plausible mitigating circumstances this season and and I mean you know Liverpool are not running away with it they lost to Southampton they've not won away this season apart from when they beat us and they were bloody lucky then if you remember this is not a normal season the the the, the regularity of the games the lack of time that we have uh, on the training pitch which have, with a new team that you're trying to gel and we have a new team and they are trying to gel that that's very very hard the whole covid thing but to go back to Dan's point, and by the way, Dan, lovely to hear from you. And we used to mention you in every show because you used to be the the distributor for CFC UK in the States. Do let me know if you still are. And I'm glad to see you're still very involved with Chelsea in that America. Was Dan underscore Lundberg. It was Dan underscore Lundberg. So I always used to forget the underscore, if you remember. But uh, his point about the, there being no crowds in the stadium, which again is an adjunct of what's happening with COVID, is absolutely bang on. And I think this is central to the the whole um the whole kind of lampard in lampard out uh spat that we're seeing on twitter because i am positive that had we had full uh, a full stamp for bridge every every match this season and of course you know our away support is superb as we all know you would have seen uh, an entirely supportive and enthusiastic backing of frank and the players you know, Frank's name would have been charted. That the, the the support would have been a hundred percent. Now it doesn't mean that we're all you know just we haven't all drunk the Kool Aid. You know, we can be critical, we can question things, and we certainly do on the Chelsea fancast. But when you're in the stadium, you it's your chance to really show how much you support Frank and the team. And I'm telling you now, it would have been a hundred percent and four square. Everybody would have been behind them, and they're missing that at the moment. And I think that that's tragic for Frank in his first kind of you know, proper season as manager. And I think it's tragic for some of the players, as JK was saying, people like, I mean, you know, these foreign players come come to Chelsea because they've seen what's happened at this club in the last 15 to 20 years. And they've seen the kind of support the team gets from the people like us. It's one of the reasons it attracts them there. And they've come here and they're not getting it. It's a bit like if you're a kid at university or who's just started university, there will be kids, I'm sure, who listen to this show who are in that boat. They would have gone there with all these expectations and how exciting and wonderful it's going to be, and it's been shit because they've been locked in a room for for nine months. Well, it's a bit much, it's a bit like that for these guys. They're not experiencing Chelsea in the way that they would normally experience it, and I'm telling you now, it's bound to have an effect. And I feel very sorry for Frank on that because there's nothing he can do. Um, there's right, nothing a bit of adulation to get you play, playing better, is there? You Let's know your back. You know you people have got your back. You know you're being. Yeah. You know you're appreciated. Yeah. Completely, it must be for a twenty-one-year-old playing well at Abbots to, to to score a goal the other day. The fourth goal he scored again would have been yeah. it, it, his name would have yeah. been chanted. Yeah. He'd, totally he'd, right. he'd have gone off with his with you know on a, on a, on cloud nine. It'd have been wonderful for him. 
It would be indeed. All right, we've got, I'm going to read another. We'll do another three, and then we'll have. Take, you want to talk about a couple of the others? Well, we're we're in, I think we're incorporating some of Nana and John's points in what we've just discussed. I know we were right. we were alluding to to Dan there very much. Let's let's do the this next three, and then we'll have another bit of a chat. Anyway, this one, this one's from our, our great friend Vinod Ayer, and I have to say, for Vinod, this is. This is almost like a paragraph. It's the shortest email I think Vinod has ever sent in. But anyway, he says, Hello, everyone. Wishing you all a very happy new year. I know I'm late in sending this email, so I'll keep it short. Firstly, results like the recent ones are par for the course. I doubt Frank cannot see what we do. In fact, I suspect he sees more. Secondly, we all underestimate how difficult it is to get people to do your bidding. Well, I have to say, Vinod, I, I've never had a problem with that. Everybody does what I say when I tell them to, don't you, Jonathan? <laughs> yes, of course. See, it's easy. Anyway, um, it's very difficult to get people to do your bidding. How they can fail to follow the simplest of instructions when they are under pressure. And finally, I wish Frank wins at least one trophy during his reign, even the League Cup. That's gone, mate. We can't win that one. Maybe the FA Cup, eh? You know, how absolutely delightful it would be to see the celebrations. Absolutely. That's all from me. Thanks for the great work. Up the Chelsea. Best regards, Vinod. And the next one's from Andrew Gray. I'm a bit worried about the fact that Vinod says at least one trophy during his reign. So he gets the, the impression... Is oh, though I, I take it back then, because he was talking about... Yes, I missed that point. I thought you meant this year. Yeah, no, during his reign. So, yes. but it, which which uh, slightly means it's finite uh, in possibly uh, not very long. Yeah, but JK, the... mate, it, yeah. it will be finite. Oh, ultimately, but Frank even, Lampard will will ultimately either leave or be fired from Chelsea as a manager. He's going to win more than one trophy if he carries on for a long time, isn't he? Well, let's he hope so. He won't be given the opportunity. Let's hope right. so. Let's hope he will. Anyway, next one's from Andrew Gray. Uh, a good snowy dawn to all whom has joined Chidge and J.K. this round. A fine opening sentence, Andrew. Almost poetic. I don't really understand it, though. Anyway, a text just woke me. Oh, I see a snowy... Ah, do- oh, right. A text just woke me at 3.30 a.m. Tahoe, California time with a proposed lineup change and the blanketing statement. Could it have worked against that city? Not sure anything would have worked on Sunday. This ground my gears into getting out of bed, putting the kettle on and writing new lot. There's no need to go into the proposed lineup sent in this text because it's like beating a dead horse. I'd rather direct my energy towards Roman's sharp axe and the quick to judge Twitterverse I hear so much about, but personally abstain. As I see it, there are three issues at hand that all need a little patience Frank, the lineup, and the new guys. So, Frank of Lampard's success last season should buy him more time than the hashtag Frank Out crowd are shouting for. How many times have all the players been available for his selection? Two or three? Who's to judge him upon that? We'd all like to see more effective in-game adjustments when possible, which is a growing concern in my eyes. Pep and Klopp didn't show immediate success, and I'd urge Roman sharp axe to take note. The lineup, The fucking lineup. Again, we've only had all players available a few times, and shouldn't judge how square pegs work in round holes. Chid, what you said earlier. Patience, Danielson, patience. With the lack of time all players have had together on the training ground, I suggest getting back to basics. Don't think, just work. Make a forward pass without asking for a co-signer approval. Tim O'Verner will be ready to run 
just put the ball in behind first time. Giroud and Tammy want the ball in the air. Pulisic wants the ball at his feet to turn. Build some consistency with the basics going forward, not back. The new guys. And when I say new guys, I mean Havertz and Werner. We all have our comfort zones and areas that we strive to improve in life. Would you like to be judged solely outside your comfort zone? Neither would I. Some things just take time and encouragement. Hazard, Drogba, De Bruyne and Salah, full stop. They all needed time, encouragement and patience. Thank goodness we didn't see Roman's sharp axe with Drogba and Hazard. But unfortunately, KDB and Mo felt the weight of the axe and continue to remind us of that year after year. Think we would have won more titles with those two at the bridge rather than City and Liverpool? Uh, yeah. We all want Chelsea to win everything, always, and need to put in the work and support that we expect from them. Frank is a legendary player because of his hard work, fundamentals and drive for success on the pitch. Let's all take a page from that book and support the project he's building so we can win everything always again. Big thanks and appreciation for all that you do. Apologies for the late submission. Up the Chelsea. Cheers, Andrew. Top stuff, Andrew. Picking up on some of the points we've already made there, and I totally agree with all of that. Um, right, we've got one from uh, Chad Didion. Uh, hi all, Chad from Holland, Ohio, USA. I tell you, the Yanks are out in force this week. God love them. Uh, anyway, not sure if this will make it as something you will read, but I feel like I need to rant with supporters that have the same sensibilities as me. Fans and supporters. That's a subheading. I am a new supporter to Chelsea, so I won't attempt to claim to be proper by any means, but this team has certainly gotten into my heart. I grew up on baseball, hockey and American football. And like my close friends, I said, soccer, how boring, uh, without actually watching or knowing anything about the game. Now into my 40s, I turned on a game one day and thought the team in blue looked pretty good. I actually sat down and gave soccer a watch. Boy, was I hooked. I couldn't get enough of not only the team, but this game of English football. I've spent days just watching documentaries. Uh, there aren't that many. DVDs, YouTube videos and reading books about the blues. My wife and I even found match day songs and learned them. Life, <laughs> life is hard these days with social media where everyone seems so high uh, when the team is winning and so negative when there's a rough patch. I find this podcast as a breath of fresh air with Chidge and Jonathan more in line with my sensibilities. I think of you and myself and others associated with this podcast as supporters, people that can be critical but still properly support the club. The social media world seems more filled with fanatics, you know, fans. Fans seem to like the team but don't tend to have proper perspective or any patience. They have a FIFA 21 mentality where you deal with computer blips on the screen and when things don't go your way, you just hit the reset button and do it again until you get the result you want. This is real life, real humans, real flesh and blood. Uh, where there are real emotions and real... Reminds me of Cheltel. Real emotions, real people. <laughs> Northerners are real people with real emotions. Oh, God love Cheltel. Uh, happy birthday, by the way, for last week, Tell. Anyway, uh, where there are real emotions and real problems that happen, not only on the pitch, but in personal life. I understand these guys, world-class players... I understand these guys, world-class players, and getting paid to play this game, but humans are not always able to play to 100%. 
These guys will make mistakes, but that's what makes a world-class athlete. Make mistakes, learn and get better. Learning also comes from having consistency. Consistency training, consistency in teammates, consistency in coaches. We certainly can agree this past year has had very little consistency, unless you call being nervous, confused and maybe a bit scared every day about a pandemic consistency. I really do like Frank as a manager, but he's been given the most consistent heat, but he's been given the most consistency of everyone. Consistent pressure, consistent second guessing and consistent negativity from fans. The guy has been coaching top flight for all of a year and a half and has had to form a title winning team with one full transfer ban. Taking players from other countries and getting them to gel with less training than usual, key injuries and a pandemic. He helps the team make an FA Cup final, gets a top four finish, brings in players, gets out of the group stage in the Champions League, has a 17-game unbeaten run, all in this year and a half he's had as a manager. I even read about how great this, his pull is with players wanting to play for him. This year, I don't believe I ever heard or read quotes from Frank about this team being title contenders. But I did hear him say this is a three-year process. Fans and supporters made them title contenders. We as fans set that expectation for the team, not Frank. He's been to blame. But he's been to blame, sorry. No doubt he has faults and needs to do better. But does a manager with this team get that chance to improve? I feel sad for Frank because I really think he cares about this team. Who is more Chelsea than him? I like the way he wants to build this team with his with the youth and I believe he has a plan, but not just... Uh, but just not a lot of training time to implement it this season. Roman Abramovich owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. But this situation makes me wonder, is Roman and the board supporters? Uh, I'd say not, actually, Chad. But uh, reading this on air or not, thanks for allowing me to rant. Thanks, Chad. Chad, I think that's a very that's a very civilised and, again, well, I don't think that's a rant at all. I think it was very, very sensible. And I think, you know, kind of skate, going back over what we discussed with some of the other emails, J.K., I made this point uh, on the show last night. and I, I mean, you know what it's like when there's four of us and there's, you know, we've got a limited amount of time. Sometimes we don't get the chance to really explore it. So I can't remember if we did or not. But a point that I made was that over and above, I mean, you know, I suspect over the evening we'll, we'll get to talk about the project a bit. We'll get to talk about, you know, bringing in the youth, which is what we were talking about last night as well, and what happens to them if you get a Nagelsman or a Tuchel or whoever in. But I think over and above all of that, and over above, over and above the huge emotional attachment that people like you and me and, and most of the people I know have with Frank Lampard, I just have a firm belief that Frank Lampard puts the interests of the club above his own interests, so that everything he is doing is for the best long-term, and I think that's important to say, long-term interests of the club. And we all know... That if you because we know this because we've seen it happen. Whenever we throw out the baby, we also throw out the bathwater too. And you get a new manager in with a big reputation or trying to make a big reputation for himself. The first thing they want is to spend loads more money. The second thing they want is to spend it on players that they know and trust. And then they get rid of a lot of players that perhaps you wouldn't want to get rid of. Um, and the cycle repeats. And I don't want to see that again. I think we've been there, done that. Yes, I know we've won loads of trophies doing that, but it 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 does nothing for the long term. Uh, you know, um, you know, it does does nothing for the long term health of this club. I don't think. And because Frank has been there so long, and he's got such a love for it and us, that he will he will he will be self sacrificing. He will make decisions based on the best interests of this club, not for himself. 
I, I found the story then the athletic of the that the fact the club was supposedly sniffing out other managers. Um, once, as I explained to, to an extent on the show last night, it didn't make sense to me because surely the board are, ava- are aware of the, the pressure everybody is under because of the pandemic and the, the fact that the season started early and so they're cramming in as many games as possible. So surely they must be sympathetic to that. And, uh, and as we've debated, the whole, the whole idea of having um, the youth coming from the academy is so important to this setup. And who better to do this than Frank, that I can't envisage, um, I just can't envisage that they would put anybody in um, who's who doesn't know the philosophy of the club. And Frank absolutely embraces the philosophy. It just doesn't make much sense to me, um, unless the 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 um, the business side of the club is so so important to the board, which we've debated as a possibility. Once again, we're you know we're we're playing devil's advocate here, but it might be that the club are completely ruthless. But in this instance, I can't see that being the case, just because he's he's implemented what he he was required to do, which was to bring the youth in, and um, and he's he's you know look at the first team, who look who's playing, look at the fact that James has developed. Um, into a, a wonderful player, not not so much recently because he was injured. But um, there are so many positives to be had from Frank. And what was interesting as well was to see how this ridiculous rumour that Avram Grant is going to be joining um, to somehow, um, I don't know, do what? To give him some kind of a, an older head, an older head who, all right, was 15 years ago that was involved with a very successful team who basically told him what they wanted to do. I think Grant's abilities as a as a coach in this instance, I, 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 it's just going to get in the way, isn't it? I can't. But it also, you don't have a situation where Arteta is is associated with Wenger coming back to give him advice, or even uh, um, uh, Solskjaer is 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 likely to be helped by Fergie. This is a completely made up media invention because Chelsea are, are a, a, a team ripe for rumour. And um, uh, in a sense, because of Roman having set up the precedent for um, uh, sacking people if they don't, you know, if they're not, they have a run of a bad run of games together. Um, it's a kind of Chelsea thing. It, it it makes its own news because to actually say to me, for me to say that Frank was was likely to be sacked after a run of four games was um, was just beyond idiocy. Well, I can't see that being the case ever. I just don't get that. Given all these mitigating circumstances, you know. I think you know. Thank you. You've just segued brilliantly into a point. I'm basically, if I get time tomorrow, I'm about my my next. Um, uh, football London article is going to be very much on this kind of subject matter, really, uh, and, and about the myth of, of Chelsea actually wanting to get rid of managers really, really quickly. You know, the itchy Roman Abramovich trigger finger. Because actually, whilst that was true, I think, to a degree in the early part of the reign, we can go back through it, can't we? I mean, he, I think he got fed up with... Excuse me. I, the trouble doing a podcast when you just had a very large dinner is that you tend to get indigestion in the middle of doing it. So I apologise for any belches you might hear. But you know, Mourinho was got rid of. I think I think that he got fed up with Mourinho's power plays uh, in the first. The first, uh, you know, Mark Mourinho Mark One. Um, Carlo 
uh, I think that was unforgivable. Although Carlo blotted his copybook by, by uh, you know, being disastrous in the Champions League. But I think that was a huge mistake to get rid of Carlo then. Scolari was an absolute mistake. And I think it was apparent that it was an absolute mistake really early. Uh, AVB arguably was another one. He was just out of his depth. Uh, but you could argue that they they may have been a bit trigger happy with those two, and certainly Carlo. Um, Benitez was never wanted in the first place. Di Matteo again, they could have been a bit trigger happy with him. So yeah, I think it's true to say that they have been, and you can understand why the media perpetuate that narrative. But here's the thing: second incarnation, Jose. The club, I don't think, really... I think the club actually didn't want to get rid of him. I mean, they, they, they certainly felt that the groundswell of support was still behind him in the ground, and it was. We were still singing... Yep, yeah, we were singing Mourinho's name after he was fired. The players... Well, as well, Chidge, because so many players were playing badly, and you couldn't... You, you just thought they're not You couldn't get rid of all the players, so they, yeah, that's... No. Twas ever thus, isn't it, for the manager? But... I mean, we did find out subsequently that Mourinho had absolutely lost the plot that season and was incredibly toxic. So there's a there's a bit of revisionism that is necessary there. But I don't think the club would have fired him had the situation, you know, been untenable. And I think in some respects it was. Um, next next man in, Conte. Yeah. You know, Conte threw his toys out of the pram at Christmas and sulked. And it was all to do with the transfers, as you often say, JK. But they didn't fire him in February. They kept him till the end of the season and he, and he won the FA Cup. So they didn't get rid of him too quickly, necessarily. You know, he kind of really wanted out. He, he put himself in a position where they had to get rid of him. Maurizio Sarri, no matter how hugely unpopular he was with, with the match-going supporters, and he was, I was there, I remember, he was not fired. You know, they would have kept him. He went, he walked. He went off to go uh, to, to Juventus. So they would have perhaps kept him, and I think they they actually wanted to, in spite of the fact that he was unpopular uh, as a manager. He'd, he'd won the Europa League. He'd won the Europa League. That's and right. Finished third. They finished third. And they finished third. So, you know, I I think that actually, you know, more recently, and again, you know, that this has to be put aligned to the club's business perspective over the last few years when they're. And I know this is going to sound daft when they've, they've spent a lot of money on players. And, of course, this is the other trouble trouble about having managers coming and going so quickly. But I think they, they, they absolutely... It's always been part of Rowan Abramovich's plan to, to bring in players that they have developed in the academy because they're homegrown. It's something that Roman has created and developed himself, if you like, through his largesse. But also, it means they don't have to spunk you know, half a billion quid every other year to rebuild the team. They're doing it more organically. And it's it, A, saves the money in the transfer market or allows them to spend it in a more targeted way on real world-class players to add into the mix. And secondly, they have, you know, huge profit potential from a resale value. If you, you know, if, if an academy player that they spent no real money on can be sold for 100 million in about five years, that's good business. And I definitely think that's what they want to do. And they've they've tried they you know I think they would have been prepared to try it with some of these managers but they just haven't been able to for one reason or another so I don't think they'll be as quick to fire Frank as people think I think also the um, the youth that Frank has brought in like Mount and uh, James and Doy for example um, are just getting there and I think in two years time 
all three of them will be world class. So I, I almost feel that that there is a certain amount of of they can get in the first team, but they still have to then play in the first team for a year to get, to get that consistency. Uh, and and I think now is the time. I think the fact that we've seen Rhys James develop into this brilliant player is great testimony to the the potential that the youth youth have got. And it would therefore be absolutely foolish to to interrupt this now. And it might mean that obviously that they that well I don't know how they get anybody who was as on the ball as Frank is with the youth unless they instruct an incoming manager. No, you can't buy anybody else. Well, you might buy one, but you're going to have to try well, and f- the youth him. They tried that with Ancelotti, the poor man, and it didn't work at all. All the players he put in, they just underplayed. Yeah. And, uh, I, I could think of one, and that's that's possibly Brendan Rodgers because he does have connections in the academy although it was a long time ago. But, you know, the trouble is, it doesn't matter. If you bring in somebody and you make them play the youth, it's not going to change. They're still going to be inconsistent. They're still going to take time to develop into great players. And you're still going to have some ropey results occasionally. It's no, There is no magic wand to this. If if you do bring in a an elite manager, as the Twitter youth like to say, he, he is. I, I, I fear that this whole edifice will crumble. Crumble, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm sorry, I've omitted Gilmore, which was appalling of me, who's uh, yeah. obviously um, uh, wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. The whole thing could fall apart. Well, the whole the whole thing in terms of you know bringing some of these young players through, I think we can just kiss goodbye. We might as well just like flog the academy because there'll be no point. Yeah. You know, and okay, yeah, they'll go and bloody buy, you know, world class players and we'll win stuff and it'll be great and we'll love it. But I think that would be very sad personally. I I think that. W- I, you know, can a leopard change its spots? I, this is for me, you know, the proving of that to see if we can. And I, I just really want to do it a different way. And I really hope that they do. Anyway, um, you got another email. Have I? Yeah, Richard Isles. Richard Isles. Chidge JK and the Fancast family. That's all you guys out there. I'm an Englishman living in South Korea. Oh, I'm a long time listener to the podcast. Brilliant, Richard. What I really love about the fan cast is that it generally shares my feelings. I get to enjoy the highs and navigate the lows with like-minded people who don't react to an extreme level like social media or the regular media and always use experience to explain any situation. Or very old age. <laughs> Where is that? <laughs> I always look forward to hearing the fan cast to lift me up or keep me there. I couldn't agree more with the opinion this week in regards to Super Frank. I believe he needs to be given time. We have a unique season, no time to train, no pre-season, and new players to integrate, among other issues. Things are changing fast for all teams this year. Arsenal are bad and maybe okay again. Man United the same. Spurs were seen as possible champions. Crazy. Plus, we're not even halfway. Absolutely. A bit of confidence for a young developing team can go a long way. Good win in the FA Cup, two weeks to train, rest and work on tactics, and a good win against Fulham on Saturday, and we could be on another winning streak. Absolutely. Then we've got Leicester, haven't we, Chidge, on the Tuesday, isn't that right? We, um, and then, just, yeah, we got we got two games a week for a while, haven't we? Yeah. Let's keep the faith, enjoy the ride. We may, may well look back at this blip and laugh <laughs> with the trophy in Frank's hand. Yeah. Keep up the good work up the Chelsea, Richard. Stranger things have happened. I don't know why, but I've got a hunch about the FA Cup this season. It wouldn't be the first time that Chelsea have lost one year and then gone back and won it the next. Yes. And well, as we said last night, I'm looking forward to us drawing um, very low level sides that yes. we just. Low quality, low quality sides. Low quality. 
all the way up to the final. Yeah, damn right. And then even then we play against somebody who's fluked it to the final. We beat, beat them easily. That would Let's be hope so. Let's yeah. hope so. Um, right, we're going to do three, and then we're going to have a... Have a a quick chat, and then possibly, a, do you want? Do you need? Do you, would you like to have a tea break at half time? Very sweet of you. Thank you. I'd love. To. I thought you might. Uh, all right. This is from Matt Scott, uh, who says, uh, "Dear fellas, and anyone else who is on the pod tonight or listening, I'm relatively new to this podcast. Don't know why I've only just found it. And I, I, Matt, we've been here for 13 years, my friend. Where have you been, Mars?" Anyway, I usually read and discuss views of other uh, fellow Chelsea fans on Facebook and Instagram, the usual bollocks, and it's not until now I can finally listen to proper Chelsea fans that actually make sense in what they talk about. Uh, Whether I agree or don't agree, you guys always have a point instead of just talking absolute shit like a lot of other people (laughs) with nothing to back it up. Matt, that's very kind of you. Um, The last email you read out on... Aha! We're getting into Shaz territory, I feel. Uh, The last email you read out on Monday is the reason I thought I'd get in touch. Regardless of if you read it out, I just need to get this off my chest. First of all, anyone doubting Frank and his ability to succeed at Chelsea can fuck right off. Uh, While Claudio, uh, Jose, Ancelotti, Conte and Sarri all did better than Frank in their first seasons in the Roman era, there are many more who didn't and even got sacked before the season was over, not to mention the players of which they all had playing for them were arguably more the finished article than what we currently have. Now, a point that I made the other week, as I recall, everyone has a short memory when you actually put into perspective what Frank achieved last season. A fourth place finish and qualification to this year's Champions League, an FA Cup final, and more importantly, adapting to life without arguably one of Chelsea's greatest ever players in Hazard while in a transfer ban. Say what you want, but at times Eden single-handedly carried us through a lot of the season under Sarri. Bang on. Uh, while having to undertake all this, Frank still put in the graft and made the likes of Tamori, Reese, James, Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham all first-team regulars, while also giving opportunities to other academy players, something which not one Chelsea manager in the Roman era has done. It makes me laugh every time I hear some twat say, but Lampard didn't have a choice. That's exactly what makes it so fucking pure, you absolute idiots. His hands were forced, but he prevailed and got the job done. This leads me on to my next issue I have with every fucking moron banging on about he's spent over 200 million. No, he hasn't, has he? He's merely replaced players that Chelsea sold in previous windows. In my honest opinion, I don't even think Frank wanted Timo or Kai Havertz. I think the likelihood is he only wanted Ben Chilwell and Silver once he knew he could get the Silver deal done. That's actually not a bad point. I also firmly believe he wanted Declan Rice as we truly lack someone in midfield who is physical like the players who played with Frank. Which again is a really good point which we don't discuss enough actually. Matt, you, we, you, Matt, you should replace me and Jonathan immediately. You're already bang on point. Yeah, yeah, uh, regarding most of the signings, for me this is something the board have taken advantage of in the current world we live in where they've looked to the future and brought in some of the most sought after players in Europe when other clubs financially couldn't. This is certainly not down to Frank. I think that's an excellent, excellent point. It's a good point, but I would still debate it because I don't think they would have just said to him, "We're buying uh, Werner and Havertz and uh, Zayech." He would have been in the mix because you know that's what Petr checks for. Yeah, he, I, he I, debates. He debates the, with the board. They wouldn't have just. No, uh, I agree. I agree. Frank would have. I mean, I mean, put it this way, you know. Um, Jonathan, you, you you're about to. You just written another another play. What you wrote. Uh, and you're putting it on at the Royal Court, and um, 
you know, you can get me in as the lead and I'm pretty good, you know, and, and you like to give idiots a chance because you're all hot. And then somebody says to you, Jonathan, I could I could give you um, uh, think of a great couple of actors. I don't I can't think of any now. And I've come to it. Let's say uh, uh, Bern, uh, what's his name? Cumberbatch. Samuel West and and, uh, and um, Benedict Cumberbatch. There you go. I can give you Samuel West and Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to pay a lot of money for them, but would, and you'll say yes, please. <laughs> I love Chich. <laughs> yes, but yes, yes please. Can Chich be stage manager? Chich can, can make Chich, the tea. Can sweet Chich sweep the stage? Uh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you yeah. would. And so I think you know, in a sense, Frank knew what he wanted, and Frank knew what he needed. But if the club say, "Look, Frank, you know." We've got a real advantage here because none of the clubs can afford to spend loads of money because of COVID. And we've got this windfall from all the, the money that we made from Hazard and the like and also didn't spend any because of the transfer ban. So we're in a position to buy some really quality players and we can get Timo Werner and Kai Havertz who are amongst the most sought-after players in Europe. What do you think? Frank's not going to say, no, it fucks with my plan, I don't want them. He's going to no. say, yes, please, get them here now. I'm not going to say that's unfair on Tammy, and I'm happy with Giroud, is it? No, he's not. Say, hmm. uh, yeah, but of course he would have been asked. I mean, but uh, so I, I don't think that's quite right that, that we're saying uh, uh, it wouldn't be down to Frank. And I say I, I, I keep going on about Petr Cech, who is uh, such a different person to have in the club, who is is clearly a, a conduit between the board and uh, and the manager. So that would have been taken into consideration. I just think it's the um, uh, for what the reasons we've been talking at the moment. The um, the two of them haven't clicked, but, um, but they I, will. I, I they feel will. That, that, that with, that, yeah, with, um, I mean, let's be honest, Zayic had a really fantastic game against Morecambe. I know it was only Morecambe, but he looked as if he was coming back into it again. And the advantage of having somebody with such a, uh, a magician like left foot, just, um, uh, I think they'll, they'll just start scoring again. I, th- I think then the confidence will rise. And I think, I actually think Zayic is very important to, uh, to, to the, the the next few games, actually, the, in fact, the future of the season. I know I'm I'm we're halfway through Matt's email, and I w- I will carry on. But that's a really good point, actually, J.K. Another one that we haven't really made on the. It's funny, isn't it? Actually, doing the show with just me and you and a few emails, it gives us a bit more time to think. Actually, which is interesting. I never. I know, it's just like it's it, it is organised chaos. The Monday night show, which is kind of why I love it. But another thing that I that I've thought of here is that. I think the kind of players that we've got in that team, they are possibly a real confident side, a confidence side, not a confident side. So when they get on a roll, they suddenly feel they're 10 foot tall and impregnable and they just go on and I could see them doing that. And then when they get a setback, that confidence just disappears. It's right, doesn't it? Because I felt actually the tempo went up after Mount scored the goal against Morecambe, and, uh, which was a terrific They're goal. skittish. And- like yeah. a racehorse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a, you're absolutely right. And when they got the second goal, um, and the second half they came out, it was it was a, a different side. Mm. And so, uh, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's a, a huge confidence thing about the team. It's also about the, the way the ball is flicked about, which they obviously do on the training ground with ease because they're all class players. But uh, but then you just think, oh, they're not they're not getting it. They're, they're just not being as slick as they normally can be. But they relax. And suddenly the ball's pinged about, and you yeah. think this is a top side. Yeah, yeah. definitely interesting. Let's finish Matt's email because Matt, Matt, your email's so good, we've had to like break off from it to talk about what you've been writing about. But well done, you. Right, he says. Also, I'd like to point out to the Frank out clueless plastics that we brought in six first team players that will, when fit, be in that starting eleven week in week out. 
That is literally over half of our starting 11 changed in one transfer window. If you think it will click just like that, then again, feel free to fuck off. <laughs> this building process takes time and patience. Klopp and Pep have done it over time at Liverpool and City, mainly Klopp, and I don't believe for one second that either of those two would have us sitting at the top of the table right now, given the fact that the Chelsea board, not Frank, have made wholesale changes to our starting eleven. although I think there's a bit of conjecture about that, Matt. But I think all would agree that the only part of our side that needed fixing was defensively, then throw in a couple of squad players and we were done in the transfer window as far as I was concerned. I sincerely hope that between now, while I'm writing this, and Friday night, that Frank is still in charge of my much-beloved football club. Because if he isn't, what was the point of trying to build something so organic and pure? Much love to you all. Absolutely love the podcast. Up the fucking Chels, Matt Scott. Matt, we absolutely love you too, mate. Up the fucking Matt Scott. That is a, yeah. that is a brilliant email. And, you know, it, it just again, it kind of reiterates what we were saying. What's the point of the project if you don't, don't see it through, you know. Anyway, but also, I, 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 you know, it's there's a slight um, pessimism there, which is born, I think, over the fact that you know we, we are Roman is is itchy on his trigger finger with managers by thinking that 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 he would be out after this this short blip. I think I think if they carry on playing really appallingly for about ten games, I think you then have to start looking at the whole setup. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think. Uh, um, I think because some of the players are just too good and all they need to do is just be allowed to express themselves somehow, whether he changes the setup. I mean, I'd really like to see Werner play with someone else up with him, with Tammy. I think we've established that he scored more goals with Tammy up there, but that effectively means he's going to have to then change the setup. And we did play very well with the 4-3-3. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I just think, um, uh, uh, you know, we we it, this is such a strange season that mm. uh, with the, uh, uh, we we just the, the the board would be absolutely for me it would be so weird to get rid of him after four or five games mm. you know I think and I think really the media have pushed for this as well because they really do like to kick Chelsea when there's a slight problem they do I think they, in Arsenal did not have this same problem with being down at um, uh, where were they sixteenth the lowest ever. They did not have under Arteta and suddenly they've won a couple of games and everybody's in love with them again. Oh, you know? that's, the, that's the way the narrative uh, goes, yeah. isn't it? It's the soap opera yeah. nature of what we're dealing with. There's a, right, I think we've got the first of our, our, our Shaz responders. Harry Burke, mate. Um, Harry Burke. Hi, guys. Long-time fan of Chelsea. New fan of the show. Love what you guys do. Thank you, Harry. Brilliant. In regards to the letter you received from Shaz in the latest episode, I'd just like to make a few things clear. As a fellow... Younger than 26. <laughs> well done, Harry. <laughs> uh, much of the younger generation, those who've lived with incredible Chelsea success throughout the majority of our footballing lives, do not wish to be associated with Shaz's <sighs> peculiar beliefs. Shock horror. Some of us are capable of seeing the bigger picture. Some of us don't whinge and cry and bitch and moan the second Chelsea, the second Chelsea drops out of the top four. Some of us can handle not winning a trophy. Some of us show respect where it's well and truly due, R.E. Mount in particular. Shaz's points on Arsenal in particular irked me. Shaz does indeed sound like more of an <laughs> Arsenal fan than Chelsea. Aside from the fact that that was not our worst performance, nor Arsenal's worst team, Shaz seems to have completely missed what a freakishly lucky game that was for Arsenal. Their goals were a non-penalty, a free kick and a botched cross. On any other day, that's a draw and we forget about it within a week. 
Shaz, mate, get your head out of your ass, you entitled, spoiled brat. <laughs> Chid, you express sympathy for the younger generation as they've become accustomed to success. I applaud your reasonable response and willingness to hear Shaz's opinion, but disagree vehemently. Shaz is merely spoiled, naive, and needs only a hefty dose of reality, not anyone's sympathy. In summary, please do not think for one second that Shaz's opinion <laughs> represents the younger generation of indeed spoilt Chelsea fans as a whole. I imagine this won't get read on air as it's far too <laughs> clear. It's far too clear. I want to punch Shaz in the throat. <laughs> but thank you anyway. Your time is very much appreciated. Keep up the great work and can the blues. Harry, Chelsea fan from Australia since 2006. Oh, that's quality. Yeah, that is so. Um, I'm going to read one more, and I'll tell you what. I'm going to I'm going to do Brendan's last. All right, because it's a bit it's a bit yeah. idiosyncratic, yeah. as you yeah, as you absolutely. can probably see. Absolutely. Um. So do you want to do do you want to do Daryl next? All right. Then this is from Daryl Middleditch. Hello. Daryl's in here tonight, by Hello. the way. Hello, Daryl. He's there. Hello. Um. Uh, evening all hope you're well and hope you're safe well we're having a go mate aren't we it's been a little while since my last email i thought a certain email from last week warranted a retort hmm. will you be punching him in the throat daryl i wonder whilst i firmly believe that everyone can and indeed should have should have an opinion on a subject it would seem some opinions are rather more considered and thought out than others which it would appear are of a more reactionary nature i would like to address just a couple of the points so emotionally put across in said email, it was stated that Lampard is completely out of his depth. And frankly, he has no clue what he is doing and doesn't know how to organise a coaching team. Let's look at the facts based on their first 55 games in the English top division. Sir Alex played 55, won 24, drawn 19, lost 12, um, win percent 43.64, famously known for being a game away from getting the sack at United. He turned out all right. Klopp played 55, won 27, drawn 16, lost 12, winning percent 49.09. Frank played 55, won 27, drawn 11, lost 17, winning percentage 49.09. It's exactly the same as Klopp, isn't it? Other than the losses, but it's the same so to state that Frank doesn't know what he's doing and out of his depth just doesn't stack up when compared to other top managers in their first season and a half of games. Also asked was, how is Mount playing every single match? Well, this is probably due to the fact that no one works harder or can last 90 minutes in top gear like he can. And the pesky little fact he's made the most key passes of any under 21 in any of Europe's top five leagues. I'm going to repeat that because I think that's a wonderful, wonderful stat. He has made the most key passes of any under 21 in any of Europe's top five leagues. I could go on with my opinions of some of the other comments made, but these are just the facts. Does Frank's record as a player for us demand he gets an easy ride as a manager? No, but I feel it does demand that he's shown some respect and that wild assumptions as to his capability as a manager should be backed up with context and facts. Everyone wants to see progression, of course, but given the unprecedented circumstances, little to no pre-season, six new signings to bed in, no fans in the grounds, and the daily demands on the mental health living in lockdown, 
added to the fact we're three points worse off than at this point last season, but a lot closer to Liverpool, should tell you all you need to know about this season. One last thing, I'd be interested to hear the author's thoughts and musings on our earlier 17-match unbeaten run under Frank's management. Or is it that they think Frank had a little WhatsApp group with Tuchel and possibly Pochettino telling him what to do, and now they're not returning his texts? Or maybe it's just that winning football matches is a lot harder in real life that it is than it is on an Xbox. Other consoles are available. Nobody has a divine right to win a game of football. Of course, it could all have been a wind-up, and I look a tip for biting. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks for all you do. And as always, up the Chelsea. Daryl. Now, the point is, Chich, of course, we still haven't found out who, who Shaz is. We still haven't found out if they're actually an Arsenal supporter. We should still haven't found out if it's a parody. Well, we still that. haven't found out if it's me. We still haven't found out a variety of things I about it. I just don't know, mate. I don't know. I'll tell you what, you know, you know, I said that'll be the last one. We'll have a break. I lied because I've just had a quick scoot through and, yeah. and found any others that might be relating directly to Shaz's email. And I found one. So I'm going to yeah. read this. Then, then yeah. you can go and make yourself a cup of tea. And then we can talk about it a little bit if you want after the break. How does that sound? Yeah. Right. Uh, this is from the lovely Joe Campbell. He says, Dear dear Chidge, Jonathan and everyone, uh, I just listened to your podcast recapping the City game and wanted to respond to the email from Shaz. I think we should say that. I just wanted to respond to the email from Shaz. (laughs) Uh, He said he was 28. I'm 29. So I want, and it's lovely to hear these, you know, relative youngsters all, you know, sticking up for the old guys, really. How are they doing it, Chidge? How are they listening to a podcast? I love them. Ancient people. I love them. I think it's brilliant. You know, it, 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 you know, people accuse us of, of basically just, you know, talking to reflections of ourselves. It, it is not true. We have a young demographic as our listener, our audience. Anyway, uh, he said he was 28. I'm 29. So I wanted to address a couple of things from someone who has from someone the same age, but from a different different perspective. Firstly, I don't. Uh, I certainly don't consider myself young, but if you guys do, then that's fine. Um, I would I would give my right arm to be 29, Joe, that's for sure. Uh, but please let me assure you that not everyone in our age bracket speaks that much bollocks. I couldn't agree more. Anyway, I can't remember everything he said, but I remember him saying that he was passionate about Chelsea. Well, my question is, is he? Or is he just passionate about our success? Because if that's the case, could I recommend that he goes and supports Barca, Rail, or some other Goliath? I know they're both a bit crap at the moment, but you get my point. I've been supporting since a year or so before Roman took over, so I'm lucky enough to have seen success for 90-odd percent of the time I've been supporting. But is that why I support Chelsea? Absolutely not. I'm from south-west London and even worked for them myself for a little while. That's why I support Chelsea. Uh, again, oh no, sorry, I've read that all wrong. Um, I'm from southwest London and even worked for them myself for a little while. And is that why I support Chelsea? Again, absolutely not. As you've correctly pointed out a few times before, you don't need to have grown up locally or have been supporting since the 14th century, like me and Jonathan, I put in brackets, for this to be <laughs> your club. What matters is the club means something to you and in your own way you feel part of it. And then it's part of you in whatever wanky, cliche way you'd like to use. Whatever it is, it's not just about success. But I digress. In responding to Shaz's email, the main thrust of his argument seemed to be that he didn't like the way that Frank stood on the touchline. I mean, should we get him some new legs or something? How on earth does he want him to stand? 
I know he's also made some points about Frank's tactics and management style, but he didn't. Uh, but he didn't email in when we were on an undefeated run or when we had the big win streak last season. So I can only assume he doesn't genuinely believe all that rubbish. Or when we beat Ajax away, or when we did the double over Spurs, or when we got to the FA Cup final, or when we just smashed our Champions League group. Yes, we've been performing poorly lately. We've had a bad month, but guess what? So is everyone. I watched Liverpool lose to Southampton the other day. It's a mad season given the context of the world and the ridiculous fixtures aren't helping. Uh, and the problem with hitting bad form at this time is there's very little time in between games to sort it out. Uh, we could well go on to put a run of form together and find ourselves in the top four again and maybe challenging for the title again next season. But if we don't, who the fuck cares? I'd rather have Frank in charge and win no trophies for a while because at least then I know I'd still care and I wasn't just supporting because we're successful. I was really getting pissed off with the club and the team during Conte's second season and especially with Sarri. I would never quit, but I really didn't look forward to watching us play then. When Frank took over, I was sceptical it would be the right time, but seeing him in charge, with our academy players being crucial to the team, I feel genuine excitement and anticipation every time we play, even if we did get dicked the last match. Thanks for taking the time to read. I should probably go back to work now. All the best, Joe Campbell. <laughs> Joe, that's a... That is a fabulous email, mate. What a love! It's just a, it's really delightful to get emails from from the youngsters actually, who who are really echoing a lot of the thoughts that the old gits like me, Jonathan, and the rest of my mob say, which really just proves you either get it or you don't get it. I think anyway. What we're going to get now is a little break. Jonathan can go and make himself some green tea, and then we will we will be with you in a short while after this interlude. See you in a minute. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com uh, Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast special edition called In Off The Post, where we get through our bulging post bag. I was almost going to say we get through our bulging sack, but that sounds a bit, you know, carry on, doesn't it? Really, I've got my wonderful carry on guest, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, with me tonight. We'll stop messing about. Stop messing about, indeed. Lovely to see you, old Bean. Uh, I think great fun first hour we've had, or hour and a bit we've had of the show, and we kind of left it really with uh, some very interesting responses to Shaz's email. Uh, Shaz caused a little bit of eruption the other week when we we had an email where he was pretty scathing about. Uh, the team and and but in particularly Frank Lampard, which touched a nerve. And you know, like I said at the time, and I, I'll, I'll reiterate again. I mean, I love I love all your points. Particularly lovely, wasn't it, to get a couple of emails from some people of the same kind of age as Shaz, saying we're we're not all like him. I mean, look, football is hugely passionate. Um, none of us like losing. None of us like it. And 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 you know, we 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 can often go on a bit of a rant afterwards. Um, and I think people are entitled to do that. So I, I have no problem. With, I'm, I bet you, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it sounds to me like Shaz wrote that email, Jonathan, like right after the match. And, and actually what for him, maybe there was an element of catharsis. And maybe in the cold light of day, if he'd had the time to think about it a bit, he might not have written that email. So I, I kind of feel a bit bad that he's getting a bit singled out and pilloried here. But, you know, he's Nothing. young. And that's what, what we do when we're young. Be fair, but 
couple of those performances were absolutely appalling. And you just wonder why the team performed that way. And you always look for, you look at the coaching staff first, don't you? That appears to be the case. If the whole team has played abysmally, if one player plays abysmally, they can be, they can be subbed off or you think what was going on with them. They're not normally like that. When the whole team plays absolutely without energy or without any application, then it becomes, you, you, you look for the, you look for a possible scapegoat, don't you? It's, it's, it's Chelsea supporter nature. Um, and, you know, I, I was seething at the end of it. You know, we all wrote negative things on Twitter. Um, uh, we all said, you know, well, the, the, you know, the sooner we forget about that, the better. But then we're always then referring back to even worse performances in previous seasons because it, you have to put it in perspective. But, yeah, possibly it was written in the heat of the moment. And, I, and as I said at the time, I, I get it. I get where he's coming from. But then you then have to apply your whole approach to to the whole setup with the club and the mitigating circumstances. And then it becomes you become less um, angry about it. And and you always, you know, hope is the is the, the, the mind killer, isn't it? You're always hoping that they're going to come back and play as well as they did. I always feel sorry for the for the teams that that play marvellously, as we appear to have done at various phases over the past um, two seasons um, and then and then drop off because you always look for a reason. Is it the manager? It's when they start off dreadfully and get worse and worse and the team just goes down the division. Then you know exactly where you are and you can find the, uh, the, the proper scapegoat in the manager because, yes, he's not managing to make them play together at all, as happened in, in Jose's uh, um, uh, sacking season. So, uh, but yeah, so, um, I mean, I have to say I like the fact that we're, we're 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 responding to it. I like that. I think that's a really positive thing, actually. Yeah, we've, you know, we've got some. It's creating a really good debate. It is. Actually. It is. Yeah. And you know, I'm all for that. Um, you know, and I don't. I don't. I don't. You know, in my old age, I mean, I was incredibly abusive when I was younger. When I was these guys' age, I was an absolute firebrand, an appalling person. I mean, if anybody's been listening to this show long enough, then they just need to go back to 2013 when we had Benitez in charge, where I. Well, I, I had, I had, you know, basically an outbreak of psychosis for a year. You know, I, I booed. He, he was down below me, of course. No, I'm me. talking about on the show. I mean, I mean, I went pots on the show for an entire year. Lost yes. the plot. Yes, I and, I, and I was in my forties then. I should have known better. But yes. you know. I was thinking more of actually at the game because I've seen you at the game be apoplectic, <laughs> standing next to me and having <laughs> and me going. Chid, can you sit down, please? You can get thrown out. And um, and uh, and similarly, but with the booing, I actually got told off by a steward for booing Benitez because mm. I was getting um, it was not it was non-stop. Well, I, I was at, I was at Brent uh, Brentford when we played them in the cup. Me too. Yeah. Where he got absolutely excoriated yeah. to yeah. such an extent that Steve Atkins hauled Tim Rolls out, who was the chairman of the Supporters Trust at the time. To tell him to try and get us to stop it, and Tim just like looked at him and said, "Seriously?" But we, I mean, I, I I heard myself on that YouTube clip using the c word rather liberally. <laughs> okay, and it wasn't Chelsea. I was just, I'm afraid, where I was sitting. I was just going boo boo in a slightly posh way. You see the difference between going boo and going boo boo. Indeed. All right, my old China. Uh, we've got an email here from. Uh, Alexander Lapchuk. Uh, Alexander Lapchuk. Alexander. Is that me, old chum, or is that No, you? it's me. It's me, then you, 
then we've gone so then you then me then me so what i might do is i might i might plonk uh brendan's email in between it to make it work anyway will you guide me yeah don't worry i'll just give you a shout um all right so alexander lapchuk he says good evening chidge jk and once again whomever gets their fan cast cap for tonight's show i write it's empty isn't it it is it is everybody's been well capped anyway i write this on the first day back into uk lockdown three hoping you all stay safe in both mind and body throughout this rather wank time quite right alexander (laughs) now i'm writing to voice my opinion on the deficiencies in this Chelsea squad. I personally believe it is the best group of players we've had since this side of 2012. I would even, uh, above title winning squads, I would even say that it's above title winning squads we've had since then. I think that's not a bad shout. Uh, So what are we lacking compared to the cup winning season conquering Chelsea squads previously? A bloody big game player, a match winner. 2009 FA Cup Final, Chelsea 2, Everton 1. Who scores? Drogba and Lampard, Cup Final Specialists. 2012, that glorious night in Munich was a collective performance by the whole team, but ultimately the big drog was the difference. And Czech, of course. 2019 Europa League Final, Hazard puts in a cup-winning performance. Countless big matches and cup finals were won due to the likes of Drogba, Hazard and Lamp stepping up. Uh, Let's compare this to our current group and possibly, putting Giroud aside, I see no one else who can win us a game when it truly matters. We have talent in abundance, players who have all the ability to step up and uh, and be that big game man. Yet when the whistle blows and the games are underway, it's like they just don't believe in themselves. Fuck's sake, Pulisic, you're faster than some motorbikes. Run, man, and once you're close enough, fucking shoot. The fella seems so reluctant to shoot at risk of another injury and that and uh, that it's almost wasteful having him out there. Bit harsh possibly, Alex, but uh, but it's not just him. It's this whole art oh this is this is this is manner to your heaven, mate, this this email. I can't wait to hear what you say. This is just this is, that sounds like Jonathan Kidd. It's not just him. It's this whole Arsenal-esque philosophy of passing the ball into the net. I should read this in the style of Jonathan Kidd. Passing the ball into the net. Gone are the days when someone just having a pop at a goal. May I say what a brilliant impersonation of me that is. I've known you a long time. I wish you would do one of me. I'd be intrigued to hear it. Anyway, that Man City... I'd be pleased to do one of me. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't love you anymore. Anyway, that Man City goalkeeper was uh, was on his debut. He could be quality, but it's probably a bit shit compared to first choice Edison. Find out. Have a shot and test him. I, for one, missed the midfield of 2009. An absolute abundance of goals from all of them. Mikel aside, of course. But Essien, boy, could he spank a ball. Lamps scored 20-plus goals a season as standard. Ballack was simply brilliant. Joey Cole mesmerising. Deco, for fuck's sake. We had a gluttony of midfield 30-yard goal-getters. Mount, Kova, Kante, Jorginho, Havertz. I just can't see them collectively getting 20 goals a season. I just want and expect more goals from the midfield. We've seen it before, and to be honest, since Lampard and Co have departed, we have seriously struggled to replace those goals. Bang on. Oscar, shite. Barkley, disappointing. Fabregas, best of a bad bunch, but not one for relentless goal-getting. Uh, finally, just to comment on Lampard out, I write this with him still at the helm, and of course, that is where I want him to remain. I'm very much pro-Lampard, and for those doubting him, just a point to note. 
In 2009, Frank took an intelligence test and Chelsea's then-club doctor revealed Lamps had an IQ well above 150, putting him about halfway towards Chidge. No, it doesn't say that. Putting him in the top 0.5% of the world's population. Einstein's was 160. So just in case you're not picking up what I'm dropping here is that this man is incredibly brilliantly intelligent. Someone with that level of IQ will be perfectly capable of becoming one of the world's best managers. He has the capacity to learn with each game. I, for one, learn best when I fuck up, learn from my mistakes. And that is essentially what's happening here. Super Frank is learning. Every game we lose is shit for now, but it's teaching him a lesson. Give him time, he will get there. I'm sure of it. I just hope Chelsea's sacking policy doesn't bring this his spell as boss to an end soon way before we see the best of him. Klopp and Pep's first few seasons are worthy of comparison. For those who keep ranting about the 200 million spunked in the summer, that isn't Frank's fault. Every fan should know by now that they ramp the price up of each player every time Chelsea go to buy one. We've got £120 million worth of players for 200 million, and remember, it's basically two seasons worth of transfers bought in one window. In summary, calm the fuck down, all the Lampard out bell ringers. The managers being linked with us is Liverpool reject Brendan Bloody Rogers, or for fuck's sake, Rafa fucking Twat Benitez. To be fair, Alex, I think that was a, a, a rather wicked joke, uh, purpose, you know, perpetuated by my good self, um, just to annoy people. Uh, now, for those of you who are relatively new Chelsea fans and don't know why Rafa is the most inappropriate manager replacement and why we all collectively hate him, I can assure you that the fan cars, guys and gals, can enlighten you. Funny <laughs> enough, we were just talking about that. You may want Lampard out, but trust me, nobody out there is any better. I can't see anyone worthy, can't see one worthy replacement to Frank, not one. Keep the blue flying high, up the Chelsea, and let's hope lockdown three doesn't stop Premier League football once again. Alex at Tweet Chuck. Alex, what a superb email. Uh, I think the point about Frank is brilliant. But I tell you what, JK, the one thing that, 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 that came out of that email, which I just fell in love with, Again, something that I've thought about but haven't talked about enough on the show. And that's the comparison of, of our midfield now and for the last few seasons with our midfield. I mean, he he, he absolutely he, he absolutely nailed that. Essien, Balak, um, Frank, um, Joey Cole, yeah. you know, and many more too. Also, I mean, the ability to shoot, it really is yeah. interesting. And the that, goals we got from that, there. That both Kovacic and Jorginho cannot shoot. And you've therefore got major players in, in in big players in big positions incapable of scoring goals which which is excluding um you know huge numbers of your your firepower every single one of those players could could as he says spank the ball into the net balak scored some really brilliant goals he scored a wonderful half volley against west ham i remember i was there god it was absolutely out of the blue and it's the it's these scoring goals out of the blue, these brilliant goals. We're not seeing much of that at the moment. Which um, and Frank, of course, was a great one for that. Huge shots from, you know, just just in the right into the corner of the goal from you know thirty yards away changes the complete course of a game. And you have, knowing that you've got that as a possibility, and and you can't um, you can't underestimate Cole's ability as a footballer. What a, what a great player he was! My goodness, yeah, that that. That uh, that um, quartet of players that he mentions there, as Mikel aside. Well, Mikel, I forgot to mention Mikel. Yeah, yeah. But uh, aside of that, we're just completely phenomenal. And Deco was a Makaleli. bit... 
Deco would suck it and say, well, Mac, Maca never... Mac, Mac no, Lee but never, the point is, is that if you had Macaulay and then Mikel, yeah, you, you, had, you were allowed... Yeah. But in a sense, though, you wonder why Kante can't then play that role. We know that that's something that's something for debate, isn't it? Just specifically tell him, sorry, you've got to play back there and just um, uh, uh, um, make sure that you, you get in a position to uh, to mop up, mop up the whole thing and not come forward because he scores the odd goal. But we're hardly looking at rasping 25 yarders from the edge of the box, are we? You know, from- I, I, I think that's a, a you know, another thing I haven't thought about. But it's a really interesting point, And I'm going to ask you this question. Would you rather see, you know, what gives you the horn more at a football match, basically? Is it seeing somebody just wallop one in from 30 yards, an absolute screamer that nearly breaks the net? Or would you rather see a goal walked into the net after 30 passes? Well, I think it's both, isn't it? It's oh, it's, you it's, can't it's, say it's, that. You have to choose. I, I can say you that. You can't. Well, I love the... I love the you know, the, the, uh, you know, a Drogba goal against Liverpool where he just chests round or against Spurs and belts it into the net because you don't see it coming. And it just, and it, the, you can see the heads drop in the opposition. But at the same time, a, a beautifully um, collective goal from the team from midfield and a whole series of terrific passes and the ball then being swept into the net is also a thing of beauty, isn't it? It's both. I, you know, it's- yeah, I, I accept what you're saying. I have to be honest with you, in terms of what gives me the horn more, and I know this because I've been in the state, well, I don't literally get the horn, by the way, I'd be thrown out, but, you know, I've been in, horn, it's a metaphorical yeah. horn, yeah. It makes me moist, if you like. No, it's more than that because it's no, real. No, no, it's no, real no. exciting. And I'm telling you now, I'm far more excited when out of nowhere somebody, at, I mean, that SEN goal against Arsenal, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, you know, talk about ends falling. I've, I've gone three or four rows down gate seventeen at a moment like that. That does not happen when I see a goal scored after thirty passes. I mean, yes, I'm excited. Yes, I think it's amazing, and I sit there with my jaw open in disbelief. But I'm not absolutely going apeshit. I tell you what, goals I've like, I like with, with this season and last season, and particularly the goal that, um, that uh, from the Europa League final was. I thought. Giroud's header was was phenomenal for the first goal, just because he was on the edge of the penalty area and he bulleted it in. So it's almost the skill of the player scoring the goal as well. The 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 it's it's the it's so yes, that's a very good point of actually the ball going in from an angle or from somewhere where you it's the never expecting it and it going into the top corner is 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 joyous. I agree. There are certain sort of I'll, I'll just stand. Uh, hands up to the heavens in disbelief if something goes in like that. So I suppose you're prepared. I mean, for example, Hazard's goal against Arsenal when he you know went the length of the pitch and uh, and slotted it in. You could see it coming, so you're going with him. That was a phenomenal yeah, goal. No, it was. And that the was one against West Ham great. as well. Yeah, similarly. And the one against Liverpool in the League Cup where he just went round. Yeah, that was, that was a thing of beauty. Those kind of goals. Yeah, they're things of beauty. But you see them coming because of the skill yeah. of the of the of the, the slaloming of the well, of hazard so great at that. You I'll, know, t- I'll tell you another example. There's a wonderfully funny story about this. This is a bit, this would have been about 2013, and at the time, uh, I, I I was a bit worried actually. I thought I was having a brain. Well, an aneurysm is a brain aneurysm. Well, it's not really, but you know what I mean. I I I've been to the doctors and I had CT scans. All sorts of mad shit was going on, and uh, I went to see Chelsea play Juventus. And I was sat with Darren, and I don't know why me and Daz are up in up in the West Upper, but we were. And I'd said to Darren, I said, for fuck's sake, don't let me get too excited, because there's a possibility that I might have an aneurysm and I don't want to die. 
<laughs> so you have to like make sure I don't. And and fucking Oscar scored that goal where he swivelled and turned, yeah. and I I just yeah. lost my shit. And yeah. Darren, because Darren is actually he's a lovely, lovely human being, as you recall. Yeah, he's yeah. a really sweet guy, and he was like panicking, saying, "Chin, chin, stop celebrating! You might die." And, and I said, I told him, I said, "Fuck it, I don't care. What a way to go out." Oh uh, yes, so, yeah. wouldn't that be great to go like this? Yeah, that was a great goal. I agree, mm. but the, the dilemma with that, of course, was he rarely produced anything like that for the rest. I know, of the I know, because that was his debut, wasn't it? I it think. was. I it know. was. Anyway, uh, Paul Foster, my old chum, he's got an email for us. Paul Foster, dear Chidge, J.K. and the team, I just want to start, like many others, writing for the first time and say thank you for a fantastic piece of football commentary. It's the highlight of my week. Thank you, Paul. Back in the day, I used to listen to the fan cast on my long commute to work. Now, sadly, I listen whilst trying to work from home. <laughs> it's a welcome distraction from tedious, seemingly never-ending video conferences. If I half close my eyes, it almost feels like I'm in the middle of a delightful pub conversation. A fantastic dream, only spoilt by the computer dragging me back to COVID reality for yet another weary hour in front of the webcam. Anyway, enough reminiscing of this mythical thing that used to be known as the public house. I just wanted to make an observation on the recent defeats, in particular, the Arsenal and Man City matches. While both these matches were disappointing, I did wonder if the COVID-related issues that led to both adversaries fielding several young, hungry players, desperate to show their managers what they could do following a period of poorish club form, could have contributed to our defeat. Their hunger reminded me a little of us at the start of last season. It would seem to me that feckless fate deemed that we were the unfortunate team on the receiving end on both these occurrences. I'm not saying we were faultless. Despite glimmers of occasional brilliance during the recent run of form, we're clearly not operating at max power yet. And Frank has been very honest about that. It's a little cliched, but I do believe we're a team in development. Incidentally, I include Frank in that characterization as well. I just hope for the fans' sake that the board can see the potential and share the vision that many of us do of a fantastic football epoch yet to be realized. A super Frank golden era, the likes of which will be written in Chelsea folklore and no doubt be fondly reminisced about by a virtual <laughs> A1 generated AI, AI. Sorry, 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 AI. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, as in artificial intelligence. Chidge and JK, 100 years from now. Keep up the great work up the Chels, Paul. Wouldn't that be great, Chidge? Wouldn't it if our consciousness and our uh, vocabulary and our brains were all in a in a, a vat and that um, uh, and all we could talk about was football with all these memories? God. And we could we could we could bicker together, couldn't we? Wouldn't that be brilliant? Well, I'm just kind of thinking about uh, the hologram that we're actually already you know, developing uh, in, uh, in uh, you know, pursuant of uh, you and I still doing the show uh, 100 years from now. Yes, what I was saying, yeah. Yes, I know. I've kind of got lost somewhere. There we go. I'm, I've, I found... I'm, I'm Jonathan, your chidge. Yeah, I found myself again. Hello, oh, who, are, who are we? Where am I? No, it's because oh, I've gone out of sequence and I, I, I screwed up a bit, but... Um, um, you well, let me just have, have a think. You got you, you've we got Supreeth and Christian and Brendan. So yeah, you do this one, Supreeth. Fifteen. Su Su Supreeth. Oh, Supreeth Manava. Hello, Chidge J.K. and insert guest name here. Well, Supreeth, 
there is nobody there. Let me start by thanking you for providing consistent, authentic content covering Chelsea from a fan's perspective. Thank you. I stumbled upon your podcast about two years ago, was hooked right away. Thank you again. As an American Chelsea fan, I find it particularly important to understand the point of view of match-going fans and locals who grew up supporting the team. I'm a local, it takes me uh, 12 minutes to get there from Hammersmith on my bicycle. As many have reached out over the last week or so regarding the job that Frank Lampard has done as Chelsea manager, I wanted to butt in with my own opinions and hear your thoughts and what I have to say. First of all, I like to say I believe that no matter who the manager is, they should be given time to implement their own style of play. I think this is even more relevant to Frank because he didn't have an opportunity to build a squad of his own choosing, assuming the board didn't select all the players, until roughly four months ago. And even though we've had new players through the door, we've rarely been able to field our most talented side, if at all. If it were up to me, I'd not pass judgment on his ability to take the team forward until after the 2021-22 season. This would mean he would be in the job for three years total and two years with a proper squad and, and preferably a year with them as well without COVID and with crowds. Before I started watching football, I was a big basketball fan. And in the NBA, you see teams who are willing to mortgage their futures just to have a chance to win the championship one time. However, the most successful teams build an infrastructure that allows them to be competitive for many years before having to reload and start the process over again. At the time that Frank took charge of the club, we all conceded it would be the beginning of a rebuilding process to enable the team to compete for titles again. Somehow, a huge chunk of our fan base has lost that perspective and thinks that just because the title race is open, we're entitled to win the league. I think we should be patient and allow Frank some time to turn this ship around. However, I do have a few concerns. First, as you've all discussed many times, I believe he should be more active on the touchline. It may not be his personality or style to remonstrate on the sidelines, but he should consider what is best for the players. Even if it feels unnatural to shout out instructions or encouragement to the players, I believe the team would respond to some active coaching during games. It's not a coincidence we had some of our brightest moments in Frank's tenure during the Premier League restart last summer when the game would be paused midway through each half for a hydration break. That's a very good point, yeah, actually. It is. Very good. I've forgotten all about that. Wow. Frank was able to evaluate what he'd seen over the previous 22.5 minutes and implement changes on the fly rather than waiting for half time or the following game to make changes. Very good point. Second, I find it odd that after a season and a half, we're still unsure of Frank's managerial identity or philosophy. He's credited for bringing through the youth, but that was partially forced on him due to the transfer ban. Lampard even said at the start of this campaign, he didn't want just to be a manager who brings the youth through. I believe every one of the Chelsea youth players who's broken into the side has done so on merit, not just because Frank and Jody have a policy of giving them a chance. I'm no tactical expert. I do fear we lack a tactical identity on the pitch. Frank alludes to concepts such as playing with a high tempo or pressing, but the team has been able, unable to consistently implement those ideas. I think actually it's because it knackers them, doesn't it? That's the, one of the problems with it. You can see whether he's made a decision to say, let's not do this because in the next game, we're absolutely going to be blowing out of our asses. I, I really think that's something that he considers uh, to me. It, it, they, they, they seem to, to press in 
in bursts, which is what Klopp did in his first season as well and came unstuck. I remember we played, they played us down here, were all over us and then had to have a 20 minute break and they all just went, went back and, and did about, you know, um, 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 two blocks of, of five, I think they played. They were so exhausted. Uh, I think it's just a question of getting conditioned to it all. Anyway, but also there are so many games at the moment. I mean, I, I keep thinking about it all the time as, as, as such mitigating circumstances. Anyway, if Frank truly wanted to field a team who has quick transitions and plays through the lines to create chances, then why are Jorginho and Kovacic relied upon so heavily, even when we're not having injury issues in the midfield? Why do so many players take the safe option rather than taking a risk to potentially create a scoring opportunity? We seem to be stuck in the mode of relying on crosses to score at the moment. No matter how good the delivery is, that is not a reliable way to get goals. When it comes to pressing, we're unable to consistently apply pressure to opponents to win the ball back high up the field. The few times we're able to do so is usually a result of individual players like Mount making a great play or opponents making a glaring error and passing it straight to us. Too often, it seems as though everyone wants to run at the player with the ball without having a teammate pressing the other players who are available in space to pass to. That's a very good point, actually. Thanks for hearing me out. I believe some of the pieces are there. It'll take some repetition to get back to the level we showed previously. I think that's a very good point. The level we showed previously, perhaps it's just in training, he's noticing that they're knackered and they just can't do it, in which case the plan goes out of the window. I think Werner is, a, is if I'm taking Leipzig as the example when I did this research on them, um, he thrives off pressing. It's not happening. What's, what's happening? You know, he, he's lost. I'm hoping Frank's given the time to iron these things out, show us what he's made of and spark a new unbeaten run. Thanks again for putting out this podcast every week. I've really enjoyed listening in and participating in discussions on the Discord server. Keep the blue flag flying high. Supreth, Austin, Texas. Nice one, Supreth. Supreth, as he said, he's in the Discord group, but he's also one of the high flyers in the Prem Predictions League, actually. He, oh. he, he, he kind of won it one week, so... Can you give me a few tips? Yeah, I think he should give us all a few tips. But he's he's a lovely lad. And again, JK, I, I commend it to you. You know, we have a lot of good chats in the old uh, Discord server, which, as I will reiterate again, is, um, you know, open to anybody who's in our Prem Predictions League, which is kind of why I started it, really. But uh, um, I've also um, extended the invite to anybody who's a, a Chelsea fancast Patreon. And, of course, if you want to joining that i mean we absolutely love it if you do because it's incredibly generous of you and i know you know i know times are really tough for people at the moment if you've been furloughed and stuff so that the thought that you you know bung us a few quid or a few dollars every month is just uh beyond uh you know beyond beyond all reasonable expectation but if you do want to do it as i said you know you get an invite to the discord group which means you can have a a twitter free match day chat which is quite uh, cathartic unlike the lunacy of twitter um also it's quite a select bunch of us in there there's not that many and of course the other thing on patreon uh you you will get a a replica mini kerry dixon banner so a replica of the banner that we've got hanging in the matthew harding end um at the moment i've run out but don't panic there's another order on its way and, and you will get them eventually i promise so it's well worth joining patreon.com forward slash chelsea Fancast. Um, do you want to pick up on a few of Supreet's points there, J.K.? Because he made some absolute blinders, didn't he? Yeah, the the, the point about the uh, 
the the, um, the break for the summer, wasn't it? Because of the um, uh, for the drinks was very interesting because Frank did always change something in that period, um, yeah. and and uh, and give them a good uh, uh, impressive talking to. He had so many ideas. I thought that was very well worked out. Yeah, perhaps he's yeah uh, yeah he's not as he's not as um, this business of being active on the touchline. I mean, Deich is constantly telling them to you know what to do. And uh, and then voice has a consequence because he's always. Uh, um, but you wonder whether that's uh, that's not in Frank's nature, is it? Really, I suppose he's he's he just gets slightly more. He gets a bit tense, um, which his body language gets very. Uh, it's pretty obvious what he's thinking. Um, so he's got a he's got a point. Perhaps he should be more interactive. Well, but I don't personally have a problem with it. No, I don't. I mean, either. I, I know it's not as if he's um, as if he's uh, crouching and sitting on a on a, a a drinks cabinet, is it? And not as if he's um, um, it's not a, who was the other completely inactive one. I suppose also people people tend to refer to Conte, don't they? When his in his reactions, he was a he was the big. But the big I, I can't stand that. But um, I mean, I'll was, I'll give a too much, wasn't it? Really? I'll, I'll give a counter view on that. I get really hacked off with these managers who constantly point and direct every player and treat them like Sabutio players. You know, go there, go there, pass to him, pass to them. I, I, I just, it just does my nutting. You know, it really does. I, I like it when Frank does the the wind up thing when he goes quicker, quicker. Yeah, that's that's different. Yeah, because you know where he is with that, and we all agree yeah, with that. But that's can, different. You can I see mean, them not passing the ball quickly enough, and he's always pushing for tempo. That's his Sam, thing. Sam, Al- I said this on the show the other week. Sam Allardyce came out with something that was really interesting the other week, and he said that, he, and he actually admitted that he he had been guilty of doing this. But the trend in management over the last ten years or so was to to overcoach players, basically, to kind of, you know, and we 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 complained about Sarri doing this, didn't we? That every move. There were 36 variations on what you had to do. And it, it was like basically, you know, an autistic version of football in a sense. It was just over-planned and over-prepped. And, and actually what Sam Allardyce was saying was he, he wished he hadn't done that because actually what it's done is it's meant that you've now got a generation of footballers who can't think for themselves on the pitch and react to what's going on around them instinctively and, and do what needs to be done by thinking through it. They're all like, well well, coach, what do I do now? And he also kind of alluded to the fact that that's why we have, you know, less leaders in the game as well. Whatever think, whatever one thinks about Big Sam, I tell you, he's actually quite a a revolutionary thinker on the game in his own little way. But he did, you have to remember, he did wonderfully well with Bolton. He did. They were, um, they were, they were a very un, unfashionable side. You know, but he, he, I think he has a real point there. And I think the main point, and this is something I did say on the show a few weeks ago, I think as far as Frank's concerned, Frank needs to be the manager and the human being that he is. And if he's not one for like shouting at everybody, telling them where to go, gesticulating every two seconds, then that, then he shouldn't try and do that. If he's more cerebral and more thoughtful, then that's that's who he is. You know, I mean, you don't see Carlo Ancelotti running up the touchline, barking at everybody, telling them what to do. His eyebrow raises and he occasionally has an Italian-esque shrug. That's who he is. But I think he's been pretty successful doing that. You know, maybe that's the kind of manager Frank is. Maybe he's not a screamer and a shouter. Maybe he has a quiet word with his players. Maybe the modern game is a game where these youngsters and and, and hugely paid world-class players 
don't react well to somebody shouting and screaming at them and throwing a teacup at them. You know, things do change and evolve. But I think the bottom line is, you know, it's about authenticity. Frank can only be who he is, you know, not somebody else. To me, it's no coincidence that Burnley, who are more journeymen, need somebody on the touchline guiding them what to do all the time. It'd scare the shit out of me. I'd play for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you don't know whether he kicks everybody at half time, Dyche, do you? He looks like that. I, I think I think Sean Dyche is a superb manager. You know? I would love I would love to see Sean Dyche uh you know, managing a team of better quality players with a bit of money to spend to see what would happen. Because my suspicion is he would do very well. I, I think he's a superb manager. I I've got a lot I've always had a soft spot for him. I have no idea why, but I I have got a lot of time for Sean Dyche. I'll be honest with you. He's a bright spark. But he, he chooses a way of playing and seems to persist with it every season, doesn't he? But he, he, he does the best out of the resources that he has, which is absolutely scant, you know, and, and he gets the best out of them. And he plays to their strengths, and that's what he has to do. I think he's a great manager. Right, we've got two more emails, OK? So I'm going to do the next one, which is from Christian Vigers, and then I'm going to give you the last one because it's right up your alley, which is from Brendan Mallard, which is uh, email number 10 because we've gone out of sequence. But... Christian says, Dear Chidge, JK and honourable guests, I hope this email finds you well and that you've enjoyed a good safe, uh, good and safe holiday season. I wanted to drop a quick line to let you all know that Chelsea's latest fan, my firstborn son, was born on December the 28th, just in time for us to watch the second half of Chelsea versus Aston Villa with him in my arms. Well, congratulations to you and your good lady, Christian. Now... Since he's been born, I've been thinking a lot about the story you, Chidge, shared on the fancast some time ago, in which you got to bring your nephew to the bridge for his very first Chelsea game, uh, almost a year to the day, actually, Christian. It's a story I very much enjoyed, and I hope to be able to take my boy to the bridge for his first Chelsea game someday, much like my father did with me back in 2005. Additionally, I wanted to take a moment to respond to some of the negativity surrounding Frank Lampard as manager. Uh, My support for Chelsea's managers is similar to my support for Chelsea's players, in the sense that I'll have their back for as long as they represent Chelsea and they put in the effort. That's not to say that I won't be critical of their performances from time to time, but I think it's important to always do so in a constructive manner. Premature, unwarranted negativity can be so incredibly toxic, uh, and while I presume it has little influence on the players and staff, it certainly pisses me off as a fellow fan. While I recognise that we're in a little bit of a form dip as of late, I doubt that it's anything more than that. I'm by no means an expert, but I think Frank exceeded all expectations during his time at Derby County. I mean, just look at where they are now, post-Frank, as well as his first season with us. I'm confident that he'll be able to turn it around. We are a young team with loads of quality, and our time will come. We've been spoiled as a fan base over these past couple of decades, but taking a few seasons to build a team with players and staff who are here for the long run, is worth it in my opinion. Even though I'm not a match-going supporter, I can't tell you how much more excited I get seeing Frank, a legend, a winner, proper chills through and through, on our bench, as opposed to Sarri, Conte, or that Spanish waiter, as JK so lovingly refers to Benitez, all of whom appeared to only care about their own careers and little else. To me... Preserving the integrity of our club culture is paramount to short-lived immediate success. That's all for now. Thanks for all that you do. Keep up the good work and up the chels. Chris Vigers. I presume it's Vigers or Veers. Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee. Love it. In the it U- might be Wigers. Could be. 
It's it sounds Dutch from uh, derivation, but uh, well, I'm going to call you Chris, which is much more uncontroversial. But Chris, what a superb email! I think really, J.K. absolutely reiterating what I was saying, which is that the reason why you know I'm so in love with Frank as our manager is because you know I believe fully that he has the club's best interests at heart, and he's not a mercenary trying to big up his own reputation. Yeah, I, I'm. I... I suppose we, and also he says we've been spoiled as a fan base. Oh, we have. It's undeniable. We have, but but I've loved it, Judge. Yeah, yeah, uh, we have. But I, I mean, this is what I, I mean, this is a good point to pick up on, actually, because you and I often have a ding dong about this. But, you know, I think we have a, you know, compared to the likes of Shaz, poor old Shaz, you got a bit of a shellacking tonight. Um, you know, he's only 28, who, as I said, he was, he was basically, you know, 12 when Roman took over. You know, the, the the unique perspective we have on it is that we were not. We, we've seen a, a huge period of Chelsea's history where they were rubbish. They weren't, we hadn't, we didn't reach a cup final for 24 years, 23 years. We had no, we had no hope. I never thought, I never thought I would see Chelsea win the league. The European Cup, absolutely, I'd have been put in a mental asylum if I'd have thought we were going to win that. So we have perspective. And I, I, I mean, for me... It means that I'm grateful for everything that's happened in the last 15 years, but I don't take it for granted and I don't expect it every year. I'm just grateful that I've lived long enough to see it happen. You know, that's how I feel on it. I don't I don't therefore now expect it as of right. But but as I've said before in the past, you do love it if a player I, oh. comes in and and sets the the club alight. May like, of course like I hazard, do. Like hazard. If yeah. you love it when even early on in this season, when I was predicting huge success for, for everything, when they were playing so brilliantly together, it was joyous to see um, uh, Zayas, who I still think has got a great deal of uh, positive um, um, success to be involved with the club. I think he's a, he's a, he's a top player. Um, uh, to see him weave his magic was just absolutely joyous. It, it's, it's that thing of seeing it. So that's the trouble, isn't it? You, you, you want them to perform that way all the time, and frequently it's not going to happen with the 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 way the game has progressed as well. I think the game's being played probably twenty percent more quickly than it was in two thousand and twelve. Very very likely, isn't it? They're becoming more and more um, athletic. The whole the whole application of the the the, the speed. It'd be interesting to see what the speed of the game is compared with when when um, when we won the first won the league in two thousand and five. I've been intrigued. I know we had some great players then. I mean, to have a, you know, Robin, who was such a brilliant, brilliant player, to have him playing, to have, so if we have players as really marvellous as that playing for us is absolutely joyous. But, you know, at the same time, you have to expect that um, that that won't be the case until they get gelled into a team where we go, yeah, they're putting everybody to the sword. They're putting, they're just playing absolutely superbly. And we're we're not going to see that at the moment because there are too many, too many um, things happening, getting in the way of it, which uh, injury, um, form just being up and down, uh, and and the the situation, COVID, too many games. You know, I've said about it before about the that he's trying to press. You can see it, but in some games they just don't go for it, or they do do it in spurts, as as has been suggested. They in in previous mails they're doing it. They're they're not consistent with the tactics that he's been playing earlier, and it may be because he he. He finds it difficult to maintain the the uh, the fitness and the form that way. It well, looks to me that's the case. You know, I really do think more and more it's to do with the number of games 
and the fitness of the team. And I think the injuries are involved in that as well, you know. Well, I, I do I do think that the, the lack of recovery time between each game yeah. Yeah. is a massive factor in that. It's just it's it's like playing in the championship but a higher and quicker level, which can't be easy. I, I did, to pick up on a point that Supreet made in his email, actually, which, again, I think we've underestimated, is, you know, I mean, because I, I'm not a fan of this talk about we need to have a style of play. We need to have a philosophy. I mean, you know, I, but I, I don't give a shit about that. If I want philosophy, I'll, I'll go and read Nietzsche or something, you know, or whatever. Other Other philosophers are available. Um, well, I think the trouble is you can't really have a philosophy because tactics change all the time. Well, they do. But the other the other thing, J.K., about that philosophy, Chelsea's philosophy and style for the last fifteen years is to shithouse their way, piss people off, and win, and win more trophies than anybody else. I don't mind that as a philosophy, but I I just wonder if Frank actually last year looked at what he had and worked out with the limited resources that he had, in a sense the best way to play, the best style of play, which was a lot of young players, um, you know, to, to you know, to basically press high and hit people on the break with the players that he had. And maybe what's happened is that because of the huge influx of a lot of other players that are not necessarily, you know, swaps for, you know, getting some of the shit out and putting quality in. It's not just a question of that. He's had additional pegs to fit into sometimes square holes and he's finding it hard to to fit all those pieces together and there's a bit of a, a, a hodgepodge of styles and type of players that he's got and he is trying to he's finding it hard to work out the best way to make them them gel I mean going back to our Morecambe and Wise gag from Monday night you know he's playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order it's a very good point Chidrits. it may be actually that he it may be that perhaps he doesn't like some of the players, but he hasn't got any alternatives. Well, I don't think it's a question of he doesn't like the players, but he... No, I mean, in terms of... Their, I, I don't that's perhaps that's a, that's too negative. I mean, it's not a player that he would have in his ideal formation. In terms of the way he set out to want to play. But, I mean, yes. you, could, you, could, yeah. you could put it around the other way and say, well, mate, you're a modern manager. You and, make it work. And you've got to make it work. And, you know, I mean, look, a kind of slight, um, a slight kind of tangent, but I think relevant to the entire theme of this evening with the emails that we've had which is you know really are we backing frank or not i've come of course we're backing frank but we're we're entitled to throw in our own tuppence worth in opinion i i i have a suspicion knowing the club i mean you know we've been proved wrong about this in the past but i do think a lot of frank's future may depend on the tune he's able to get out of Werner and Havertz, and how he makes that work because the club have invested a lot of money in that. Now, the club, I think, will be prepared reluctantly to go with Frank and take a hit on Kepper, because even a blind man in the Amazon rainforest could have seen that Kepper was not working. But when they've spent the money they have on Havertz and Werner, they can't afford for them to be flops and for their resale value to drop considerably. So I think Frank's future may well depend on getting a tune out of those two. Discuss. Yeah, I, th- well, I think we've, we've, just, we've talked about this before, haven't we? we yeah, we've we said, have, haven't we? And I think this is also what came up in the uh, the article by Liam Toomey and Simon Johnson, wasn't it? In um... I think there's some, some credit to that, actually. <coughs> Bless you. I I, excuse me. I was just thinking of the... the 
they may have been overreacting, but I think if 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 you look at the the way the club is run, that if they spend a lot of money, they need these players to hit the ground running. They're not great at um, uh, saying to the manager, "You haven't made them work." If the club is successful, so I suppose in a way that but prior to that, when Chris Sutton played, um, and even when Kesman played, the, the the club were willing to uh, accept that um, um, he was just bad because Mourinho was winning all the time. And, and uh, uh, it, it, if the club doesn't play well at the same time and loses, it's a double whammy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, you know, Werner, and, uh, Werner and Havertz can play badly, but if the club plays excellently, you just try and work out what the problem is. Whereas if the club starts falling apart and they're not playing back, playing well, you, you start looking at the manager, unfortunately. Yeah. And as I said, I don't underestimate how difficult it is to, to bring in six new players and, and make it work. I mean, Fulham did that a few years back and got relegated. Villa did that last year and nearly got relegated. It's not easy getting these players to gel. And I think factoring the rapidity in which we're having fixtures this season, and I think that compounds it. Now, we have our last email of the evening, and I think it's a very fitting one for you to do, my friend. There is it. I'm not finding it. Brendan Mallard, email 10. Oh, all the way back to 10. Is there anybody we've missed out? No, we've, we've, we've been good. We've been good. You were doing, you were doing your uh, your maths earlier. When, I was. When I was trying to talk about brains in vats and you me, you and me being preserved for 100 years, you were, you were, you were totting up emails. <laughs> um, uh, I suddenly had this vision of DC comics from when I used to read them when I was little. And... Uh, People with large brains and uh, enormous... The brain. Yeah, exactly. And um, Brainiac from Legion of Superheroes. Um, and Brainiac from... Brainiac 5, he was, of course. Uh, anyway, uh, email 10. Um, uh, why have I said that? I don't know. Um, and and uh, hang on, my girlfriend's ringing me to say, uh, supper's ready. Um, I was saddened to hear of the passing... It's a Brendan Mallard. Sorry, Brendan. Hi, Chidge, JK, and special guests. No, it's you're the special guests. You lot are. I was saddened to hear of the passing of Tommy Doherty on New Year's Eve. I asked my dad, Philip Mallard, who I've written to you before about, if he had any Tommy stories from his time in the Chelsea youth setup in the 1960s. And sure enough, he gave me a couple. Tommy would often check in with the youth team, and he had a particular interest in the boys keeping a neat and tidy appearance. One thing he was a stickler for was the length of the boy's hair not getting out of control. He would come up to a player, grab the back of his hair and say, that's too long. He would then reach into his pocket, fish out some money and say, get a fucking haircut. Was the he player, from Northern Ireland? Funnily enough, yes, he is. Sorry, I've done immediately done a Northern Irish accent. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, I'll tell you my house. That's not go a fucking haircut. That's not better. That's not better. That's too long. That's that now. Um, the player would think, greet a free hair, get a get a free haircut, and would do as Tommy asked. However, come the next payday, when the player would check his pay package, he'd find to his dismay it was a bit lighter than normal because Tommy would instruct payroll to debit the amount he'd handed over in the sheds. Wow. One day before an away youth FA Cup tie versus Queen's Park Rangers, Tommy visited the dressing sheds with a sack over his shoulder. The boys were looking shabby in their Chelsea shirts, which had seen better days because they were hand-me-downs from the senior team. Some shirts were more faded than others. Some had seen running repairs done on scenes, etc. Tommy reached into his sack 
and pulled out the first team's yellow away shirts. Oh, I love them. Started handing them out. Once everyone was kitted out, Tommy asked if everyone felt good now and were ready to go. Yes, were the players' enthusiastic responses. Good, then get out there and fucking win, was Tommy's reply. Thanks to a hat full of goals from Peter Osgood, that was indeed what happened. Hope all is well with you guys in England. I keep in touch with my extended family in Wales, so know the COVID situation um, has been pretty dire lately in the UK. I've been enjoying listening to the common sense analysis and comments on the podcast during this tough run of form for Frank's boys. I hope it turns around soon. Keep safe and well and up the Chelsea. Cheers, Brendan Mallard from Sydney, Australia. Lovely stories, great stories. Any more? Hey, hey Brendan. Get some more, please, if you can. Please, love him. Love to hear about him. What a character he was. What a manager he was. What a, what a, uh, uh, and as we've said, started off Chelsea becoming uh, the team that they've become now as a consequence. He really did. He was the beginning of all of this and uh, made my, my, my childhood um, joyous. I keep using that word, but yeah, I get, I get that, that, that football give, watching Chelsea makes me joyous. And uh, he was, uh, he, he was so instrumental in that in that period of my life. So, yeah, great stuff, mate. Well done. A lovely, lovely, touching uh, tribute to Tommy Doherty there, who's so well-loved, particularly by Jonathan's generation. I was a bit too young, but, I, I, I you know, I, I still grew up and, and knew who Tommy Doc was, and it was brilliant meeting him at the, the Duke John of Edinburgh. John Boyle on Facebook has mm, been, saw it. been putting yeah. up yeah a whole yeah. series of articles and pictures of... Uh, relating to his time at Chelsea with the doc. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he ab- absolutely loved him. He absolutely loved him. Uh, as Jonathan said, more stories, please, Brendan. Just just talk to your old man, get him to get him to write in again and tell us a few stories. It'd be great. Um, Jonathan, that's all we've got time for tonight. It's been great, great fun, hasn't it? Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Marble. Well, thank you for just, just the two of us. I can uh, I can interrupt you with glee. And um, whereas I always... Not be like scowled a... at. Yeah, not be exactly... Exactly. Everybody watching Chid just gives me the fish eye so often. So often the look the look I get from Chid when I've come in with something that I'm I've been bursting to say and failed. But, and, yeah, um, but it's because you, you sat on it for ten minutes and it's then then no and longer it's got relevant. relevance whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. That's it's, why. Exactly I know half the time, yes, yeah. But no, it's, it's it has been great fun. Fun. It's been nice to just do a show with you for a change. It's been brilliant. I mean, the the quality of the emails that we get on this show are just so fantastic, which is why, you know, we always love to read them out on the main show, obviously. But if we get too many for that, I'm really well up for doing a dedicated show just to give them the the airing that they so clearly deserve. So we're absolutely indebted to you for, you know, taking the time uh, to write them and send them in. It's really lovely of you for doing that. If if anybody... Sorry, no, can I just... Yeah, yeah. And also the fact that they're from all around the world, yeah. which is absolutely phenomenal. It's just... Um, we, we love that aspect of it as well. The fact that we can give you a bit of Chelsea, um, which is, you know, we're, it's it's easy for us to get to in comparison. And you're communicating with us from everywhere, the, it, the from globally is uh, it, my I'm so touched by it every single time. I can't tell you. It's absolutely brilliant. I echo that sentiment. And uh, if you do want to send one in, uh, you know, normally uh, I, I like to write the scripts for the Monday show. Uh, on a Sunday evening. So you want to get them in on a Sunday evening, really. Monday's a bit too late nowadays because I'm busy on a Monday. But uh, 
no as i said if we get too many for the monday then we'll we'll do a one-off uh in off the post as i said so send them to chelsea fancast at gmail.com and it will be done um we will we will be back uh on friday night me jonathan martin wickham sam Incasol from football.london and uh, sammy james from the fulhamish podcast to preview the fulham game which of course has now been moved to the saturday so uh, we look forward to seeing you all there and hope you enjoy it as much as we will but uh, until then jonathan thank you so much for giving me your time so generously as always Jude. love to do it love to do it thank you and thanks to the merry band of mixler peeps who have uh, been listening live and uh, commenting with their pithy comments always love to see those and see you in there as well but uh, that's it until friday thanks for listening see you on friday until then Keep it carefree, keep it blue, keep it chels. empfiehlt. Podcasts, die wir lieben. Es ist nicht alles gay, was glänzt. Oder doch? Das klären wir jetzt in Busenfreundin, der Podcast. Hey Leute, mein Name ist Ricarda. Ich bin Comedy-Autorin und die Stimme des LGBTIQ-Podcasts Busenfreundin. Und ich treffe jede Woche spannende Menschen und spreche mit ihnen über alles, was die queere Szene bewegt. Bei Busenfreundin gibt es Unterhaltung gepaart mit Haltung. Oft. Also nicht immer, denn manchmal schweife ich auch ab, zum Beispiel mit Leuten wie Riccardo Simonetti, Sarah Kuttner und vielen, vielen mehr. Also schaltet jetzt ein zu Busenfreundin, eurem Lieblings-LGBTIQ-Infotainment-Podcast. Bei Acast finden die besten Podcasts aus aller Welt ein Zuhause. Abonniere diese Show oder finde weitere spannende Podcasts bei Acast oder wo immer du Podcasts hörst. 